a brawl! Dasker with the right! Dasker with the right! Set with the left! Set We knew this was gonna happen. Gage and Twist. McGrath and Troy drop the gloves. It's St. Patrick's Day. Jaboski trying to counter with a right, he gets a couple of good ones in Lassart. He's got him rocking backwards. This is the Jaboski we like to see. Two heavyweights going left and left and left. And look at EJ Stock pistoning that left hand. Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 31 of the Five for Fighting podcast. My name is Alec, your host, and this is the show where we focus on the players who dropped the gloves and the fans who enjoyed watching them do it. Today's guest is one Mr. Pete Vandermeer, uh, one of the many Vandermeers out there. I guess I think I mentioned it right here in the beginning. Uh, the damn Vandermeers, they grow like weeds out there. But um, no, I had a lot of fun doing this interview, and uh, Pete was awesome. And I don't even think we got into the ECHL stuff. We got almost two hours of content, and I could have kept going, but unfortunately we were dog-sitting at the time, and we had to run the dogs out. So had to, I guess had to cut it short at two hours. <laughs> so, um, no, it was a good time, though, and had a lot of fun with it, like I said. And, um, you know, we discussed a lot of the guys that he fought. and Certainly not all of them because we could have made it a 12-part saga with Vandermeer <laughs> talking about all the guys he fought. But, you know, I know he's made his rounds. He was just recently on Spit and Chicklets and uh, T uh, Tales with TR, the um, Terry Ryan show. I almost said Bobby Ryan, fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> but, no, so he's made his rounds a bit there in the podcast world, which is good to see Pete getting his story out there a bit. But, um, you know, I don't think I don't think they go quite as in-depth uh, as they do on this one. So it'll be good to kind of hear, the I guess, the almost the full story of Pete Vandermeer during his time through the minor leagues and, um, you know, playing in the show with Phoenix and, uh, stuff like that, and I got to get him back on because we got to talk about the second half of his career uh, and guys he fought then and going to the coast and everything like that. But no, it was fun having him on, and Pete's an awesome dude, and uh, it was cool. I found out I actually realized he listened to the show before we even got going. He listened to me, Darren, and uh, William over at the Biscuits. So uh, it's cool to hear that when, when actual players listen to your podcast, it's uh, you know good feeling. You know, you you want like I said uh, before, plenty of times in other intros. Um, you always kind of wonder who's listening and you know when actual players listen and they actually enjoy it uh it's kind of i guess rewarding is maybe the word but um it gives you a little bit more drive to do this i guess is what i'm trying to look for so um but yeah and uh it's pretty cool that uh you know he came on and gave me the time of day for two hours we sat there and it was kind of a skype call so it was kind of fun sitting there bullshitting back and forth and we even talked a little bit afterwards so uh pete's an awesome dude and uh you know can't thank him enough for coming on and you know Hopefully my tone's a little bit different than the last intro, of course, with Screwy and Max. And for those listening, if you're just now tuning in, um, you know, you go back and check out that episode with Todd, Screwy, St. Louis, and um, Max Middendorf. And that's an absolute gong show of an episode. It was a great time. Uh, drinks were flowing. Fucking locker room talk was in full effect. So, um, <laughs> to say the least. Um, 
but go check that out. And if you're actually tuning in for the first time uh, and you want to hear some other podcasts that are uh, you know available from me, I have plenty of interviews out there. And we got like Chris Nyland, Rob Ray, Jeremy Yablonski, Frank Bialois, Peter Zerba, Ken Tasker, Mike Segroy. The list goes on. Um, a lot of tough guys on the podcast, so it's cool to get all these guys' stories out. And I got some other other interviews coming out as well. I just uh, I, let's see, I got like two more in the uh, in the library here. I got Paxton Schulte, and he opens up about the here. Excuse me, he opens up about the Nikar incident for the first time, uh, which is pretty cool. And uh, for those listening, you, you might not know what that is. Just go look up Nottingham versus Belfast, like bench brawl, uh, and it was over there in the UK when he was playing in the uh, British Super League, and some shit kind of went down, and he goes in depth about it and opens up about it for the first time. So uh, I know it might not have been easy for him, but it was uh, cool to hear him open up about it, I guess. I mean, not cool in the sense of what happened to him, but hear his side of the story is what I'm trying to get at. And another beauty I actually just recorded with was uh, Jason Rushton, and he was a tough dude over in the LNH and even competed in the uh, Black and Blue Battle of the Hockey Enforcers Tournament. Um, so it was cool to hear about that and his time over in Europe and, uh, you know, a lot of lately I've been getting a lot of guys to played over in Europe. So, uh, hopefully the, my UK listeners or any listeners over there in Europe kind of enjoy it. Um, you know, uh, I feel like sometimes the tough guys over there don't get talked about enough. So, uh, it's been, it's been fun having some of those guys on. And, uh, one thing I want to speak of the LNH, like before, one thing I want to mention real quick and, uh, got to give a couple, got to give a couple thanks out there is, uh, Dean Mayrand and Dean, I know you're listening, and I think uh, I think J- Jason Rushton actually, uh, you know, joke around about uh, fighting against uh, D- fight, or excuse me, fighting against you in the um, the Battle of the Hockey Enforcers tournament. Um, but no, D- uh, Dean had sent me uh, and Darren actually over at Fourth Line Voice uh, sent both of us uh, a sweater from that actual competition, um, and words can't describe i i can't even fit it all in a tweet i don't even know if i'll be able to you know say the words now of how grateful i am for that uh you know i collect jerseys and i mentioned it many times on the podcast before of all the tough guys um and no it was really cool to get that and uh, i wasn't expecting that at all i we i talked to dean before about you know getting a um he's just opened up a boxing gym so i was looking to get a t-shirt uh you know and i think he ran out of stock at the time so i thought he was gonna end up i thought he's told me he was sending me something I thought was gonna be a t-shirt and it ends up being his uh damn black and blue sweater so uh, a lot of blood on it we actually fought Jason Rushton in that sweater because it was the semifinal so it's kind of cool how that goes hand in hand um but no seriously man I, I fucking can't thank you enough for sending me that and uh jaw almost dropped opening that damn package because that's this is super rare I mean you know I don't even know where you get them I've never even seen them available and all the enforcer groups and uh, you know stuff like that and even the jer- the game worn jersey groups and actually i just had one sent to me that was a, it's like the fan model jersey from that competition so that was cool i thought that was cool enough and sure enough the same day, same exact day that that gets here uh the package from dean arrived so it was a double whammy i guess you could say which was absolutely awesome um and another guy i wanted to thank real quick too was uh, bruce watson and bruce has a episode with me on here too which was a fucking riot and told some great stories and had a lot of fun interviewing him, but he actually sent me his, uh, port here on border catch sweater. Um, so I don't think I mentioned that before. Actually, I, I, you know, it's don't want people to go flood their DMS or anything. Hey, can I get something like, don't do that, please. For the love of God, (laughs) don't be that guy. But, uh, no, it was cool. And, you know, to both of them fucking 
absolutely unreal that they sent those to me and um you know they'll definitely be framed whenever we uh get out of the apartment here and whenever me and the fiance end up finding us a a house to live in so they will definitely be framed and have a special place on the wall and i guess the man cave or the enforcer cave whatever you want to call it um but no, seriously, thank you. And I know, you know, Darren was appreciative too. And, you know, both of us were, I, I told Dean, I was like, you know, some way, somehow fucking me and Darren are going to find a way to go up there and try to kick your ass. And I think I texted Darren. I said, we'll, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll finish in fourth place in that fight. Just the both of us. <laughs> so, uh, no, again, Dean and Bruce, thank you for that. Uh, the, those gifts, that was absolutely unreal. Um, well, you know, while we're at it, speaking of other podcasts, so of course, Darren over at Fourth Line Voice, the OG, the Enforcer podcast, the original Enforcer podcast, he actually is, uh, he just did a top 10 Saskatoon Blades list, which was very interesting because I, I always like to hear that because I don't know too much about Canadian Junior. I've known more about it through the years um, and, you know, through talking to everybody now, but um, I always like to hear stories about that. He just did a top 10 list with that. And from the vault, he just had Sean McMorrow on and Sean goes really in depth the old sheriff sean mcmorrow uh he's actually still playing in the lnh well i don't know if he's gonna play again this year but the season uh the season got cut short but um no it's a really it's like almost three hours i think so uh awesome interview and it's good to hear sean's side of the story of uh the whole police thing and uh you know go going to jail and stuff like that so uh, no really cool to hear that side of the story from sean and he gets it out to the public and darren does a fantastic job on that interview and um another one is of course bobby longgrass over at the bucket drop podcast and funny enough right before i just hit record on this intro we uh just did an episode i did an episode uh, he had me on his podcast and we cover the top 10 lightning enforcers and fuck it was kind of hard man <laughs> sitting here looking down at the uh at the rosters and the lightning never really had that set in stone tough guy for a while they did they did but then it pretty much only had about three that were really longer lasting than most so uh really the whole list is interchangeable but i had a great time sitting down with him so um you can go over and check that episode out whenever he drops that uh you know bobby thanks for having me on i had a great time and like i mentioned on that podcast anytime i get you know an hour or two to sit there and bullshit about hockey i'll do it um and of course the other uh enforcer podcast who does specifically islanders tough guys and you know the anybody who is in the islanders farm club uh joe lazito over at the coliseum chronicles the penalty box podcast and he just had on daniel Lacroix. and joe does a fantastic job i mean i don't know i don't know if he has any interviews oh well i'm looking now i got one but it's because it's a solo interview but any player interview he has uh, I don't think there's any one of them that are shorter than maybe an hour 45. So Joe goes really in depth with the boys and gets some great stories out of them. And he does a fantastic job and uh, awesome dude at that. So uh, those are the main three. Go check those out as far as the uh, the Enforcer era-ish podcast. Oh, of course. And, of course, William over at the Biscuit. Uh, go check him out as well. I know he was just recording tonight. I'm not sure who he, uh, who he had on, but I know he was just recording an episode tonight. So I guess the big four, excuse me, not the big three. The big four, that's what we'll, that's what we'll call it. Um, so go check those boys out. You know, little fish in the small pond, like we always say. Uh, kind of the mom and pop run shops here. Uh, you know, we're all on the street corners trying to sell our stuff while Walmart's doing it for a lower price, I guess. <laughs> so, um, no, go check them out and uh, you know, do me a favor, whether it's my show or those other guys' show, leave a review. Uh, it really helps the shows grow and helps them get noticed on Apple Podcasts or Google, wherever wherever the case may be. Um, leave a review, uh, whether it's one star, five stars, 
uh, whether you want to actually leave an actual review because of course you could just click five stars and leave it at that you don't necessarily have to you know write a review but you know if you like the show and want to pump the tires a little bit on any of us go ahead man it, it really helps the show out and uh, it'll help us grow a little bit and that's you know obviously none of us are expecting to get as big as you know the player podcasts that are ran out there now but um, help us get a little bit of recognition and you know we a lot of us put a lot of hard work into this and we don't do this for money or anything like that it's all just at our leisure and get some stories out from the boys so um, yeah definitely go do that and maybe help help the little fish get a little bit bigger help help the little fish uh, grow into one of the big fish in the pond I guess but um, anyways you know run a little bit long here on the intro you know I don't like to keep these over 10 minutes so real quick we'll just plug in the uh, the social media fine or followings I guess so go check out at fi- at the number five and then four fighting pod for Twitter and uh, post on there daily typically I just post a bunch of morasty fights on there today since it's morasty's birthday um, go check out my Instagram it's f- just spelled out regularly five for fighting pod um, again post all there daily all the uh, or not probably not daily on that one, but anytime episodes drop and anything like that, if you want to stay up to date, it's all on there. And the Facebook page, which is just Five for Fighting Podcast, give it a like, and you can even hit follow so you're up to date on everything as well. Um, and then last but not least, if you want to get your fix of hockey fights and you know just general enforcer talk and discussion, go check out the Enforcer Appreciation page. Uh, we're up to like 10,600 members. I know it's, it stopped growing as much once I changed the name a little bit, but that's okay with me because it keeps some of the idiots out and the uh, the riffraff isn't isn't you know coming through the cracks or the woodworks. And uh, so uh, I think it's a little bit better environment that way, which is fine with me. But we got 10,000 members almost 11,000 now at this point so uh, you know there's a lot of former players in there and uh, plenty of discussion and they'll give their two cents about a fight or what it was like playing with that guy or what it was like at that game when they you know saw that fight live or they were in that fight so great interaction there but uh, anyways guys we will wrap it up there and we will pass it over to Pistol Pete Vandermeer uh, thanks for listening guys hope you enjoy got some great content coming out and uh, you know stay tuned but anyways We'll pass it over to Pete. Thanks for listening, everybody. This should be good. This should be very good. All right. And today's guest on the Five for Fighting podcast, we have a man who managed to rack up 5,040 career penalty minutes to include his time in juniors. And he's also third all-time in the AHL penalty minute department, none other than Pete Vandermeer. Pete, how are you doing today? Great, Alec. Good, uh, good to see you. Nice to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and uh, give us some stories because, well, like we had mentioned before we got going here, uh, just two years alone here on the fight card probably keep us busy for about an hour and a half. Good night. <laughs> yeah, there was uh, lots of dance partners along the way, that's for sure. And yeah, had a lot of fun doing her. So yeah, I'm really happy to be on here and chat. I've listened to, to pretty much all of your previous podcasts there before and we were talking a little bit earlier. It's just... Uh, pretty cool to hear some of the stories from from the other side the guys that you're you're tangling with and it's amazing how many uh, similarities there are just between you know what's going on on the ice and off the ice and just kind of kind of how guys kind of approach it so it was, it's really neat for for me anyways to listen and I, and I really like it I'm really glad to be on well I appreciate the uh, the kind words there man uh, well before we get going here I'd like, always like to ask uh, you know what are you kind of up to now after hockey are you uh, you still involved in the game at all um, you know, working a blue collar job. What, what's uh, Vandermeer up to today? <laughs> All of the above. Uh, <laughs> still playing senior hockey still in Saskatchewan. Uh, we've been was playing senior hockey for a bunch of years here in Alberta. 
Um, went to an Allen Cup here uh, winter before last, and I, I got four kids here at home. I coached three of them playing hockey and keep those guys going. I'm vice president of our local minor hockey association, so I try to look after a bunch of kids that way and teach power skating and skills to all the kids in our local association. And, yeah, got a little firewood company that me and the wife started up, and it's been going really good for the last five years. Before that, I was doing some sales in, in the oil patch here in Alberta, which was real busy till everything really kind of fell out of the bottom of that deal. But, yeah, we're just we're busy with kids, busy with work, and really enjoying life. That's awesome, man. Good to hear you're doing well. And uh, you said you had four kids, man. You Vandermeers. You guys grow like damn weeds, I guess. Holy cow. You got, so, well, how many brothers do you have? You had five, right? Yeah, just five little brothers, yeah. Just five. Yeah. <laughs> just five. You got four four kids of your own. Like I said, you pop up like weeds around here. Um, yeah, and I got another daughter down in Philadelphia, too. So we got her looking after five, more or less, doing that. So, holy yeah, cow. we're busy, man. Busy. Yeah, no kidding. You ain't shooting blanks, that's for sure. <laughs> oh. I am now. Took the bullets out of the gun. That's tough. well. You had to, man. You were hitting everything that moved. That's right. <laughs> um, well, but so I guess we'll start it off from the beginning here. You know, you um, you were born in Red Deer, Alberta. So you know, you, and you started your junior career playing for them in the WHL. You know, what was kind of that like? And did you start playing hockey at a very young age, like a normal, like typical Canadian kid? You know, pretty much born on ice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, like me and all my brothers were born in Red Deer, but we grew up in Caroline. Like Red Deer's where the hospital is. It's about an hour from from where from where we actually grew up in, in Caroline, small little community in West Central Alberta, and you know, three hundred people in town, and we grew up about six miles away from there on a farm and a sawmill, and yeah, just had lots of fun playing, beating the crap out of each other, and and giving her. I think uh, I was five. And brother Joey was four, and little brother Dan was three when we, you know, got uh, got playing organized hockey to start with. But we were on skate since we could walk, sort of deal, and yeah, away we went from there. Right on, man. Well, uh, so you entered the WHL in ninety two, ninety three was your first year. Um, did you did you already have it in in your mind that you know, hey, uh, I'm gonna start fighting, and if I want to kind of get noticed, or did that kind of come from the, did the coach come up to you and ask you maybe? Uh, or t- I shouldn't say ask you, but tell you, hey, if you want a shot in the in the NHL or in the big leagues, uh, you might have to start doing this. Well, I, I was always a you know a skilled player as a minor hockey kid and stuff like that, and always scored lots of goals and was you know pretty skilled, did that sort of stuff. When I was uh, 16, uh, me and a guy that I was playing minor hockey with, uh, we went to camp in Victoria. Like there was no bantam draft or anything like that when when it was my time there in the Western hockey that brought that in after when I was, when I was playing in the league already. Um, but I went to camp when I was 16 in Victoria. Um, I was listed by him, you know, you get a letter in the mail saying you're Victoria's property and me and my buddy, Chris Peterson went out there. He made the team as a 16 year old. I, I didn't, I was still, I was little, like I was probably, you know, five, 10, 150 pounds. And, um, still I figured the only way I could get on that team was be to scrap, right? Like they had all their, all their lines said, all their skilled guys were all taken care of. And I didn't make it there. I got some fights, played some exhibition games and really enjoyed it. Um, but went home and was rele- released by those guys and went and played, um, made a midget triple A team here in Red Deer and uh, managed to lead the team in scoring and lead the league in penalty minutes and uh, <laughs> was was picked up by Red Deer. It was Red Deer's first year uh, expansion team in the Western Hockey League and got listed by them and picked up and managed to play a couple games at the end of that year. 
and stuck around for playoffs. But uh, camp the next year, same deal. Like they had all their guys, uh, you know, your top two, three lines already set. And the only way I could make that team was was by scrapping a little bit. And the Western League in the early 90s, was it didn't matter if you scored 50 or you scored five, you fought right. anyways. So, you know, that just being part of the deal, I was able to, to carve out a little niche and a little bit more room by scrapping so I could play a little bit more. Number one, to make the team, and then number two, to get more room and, and get more ice and score more points and help the team be more successful. So it wasn't something that you're just you're ever told to do. It was just like you figure it out quick, otherwise you weren't around, if that makes any sense. Right, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, leading the league, in, uh, or not leading the league, but leading the team in uh, penalty minutes and scoring, that'll get you noticed real quick. And, uh, you know, it's funny going through your stats here. Your final year of Red Deer, you had 61 uh, points and 207 penalty minutes, so... Uh, you were you were killing it, man! Literally both with your fist and with the uh, the soft hands. So, um, no, that's awesome. And you had a couple teammates along the way. I wanted to ask you about, of course. Um, and two of them was uh, with your ninety three ninety four year. You had uh, Terry Lindgren and Ken Richardson. What was it like playing with those two? Uh, Lindy's my boy. So Kenny too. Like, you know, great lifelong friends. Now, Terry actually lives down in Florida. Like he retired with the Everblades down down there in oh, Fort nice. Myers. So he's a EMT and a firefighter down there, and actually just saw him this Christmas. He came up to visit his folks uh, up around the Edmonton area, and, and yeah, it doesn't matter if I see Terry every day or don't see him for ten years. It's just you know we're best friends. Eh? We went through so much stuff together uh, uh, growing up. You know when you're in junior, and you know love the guy, but tough as absolute nail. Same as Kenny. Kenny is just nuts tough. Like our our whole team there in Red Deer, we're never really really good team. But we're all always tough, right? Like if we're up by three goals or down by three, send out the meat. Like it's going to be all <laughs> right. So that's the way that all went. And actually, Terry, our first year pro, we played against each other. He was in Louisville with the, with the Bullfrogs, and I was in Columbus. And we always wondered who was tougher, right? Because we were right even, kind of the same size, same same age, everything like that. Just I think he's three days older than I am. And so the first time we ever played against each other, we grabbed each other and beat the absolute shit out of each other. And he knocked one of my teeth out, and I put him in the hospital for a week, like, knocked his head a little stupid. Like, it was one of the best fights I think either one of us ever had, but we figured after that we didn't need to do it anymore because we were even. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, that's freaking awesome, man. Yeah, so um, another teammate you had, well, it's funny you mentioned the Bullfrogs, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but another teammate you have, and it was probably one of the most, I, I guess, underrated, or uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like he's not not appreciated enough as a middleweight. But you had Aaron Asham on your team, and he was wheeling up the points and pims as well. So what was it like playing with Asham? <laughs> Ash, when he came in there as a 16 year old, I honestly thought he was a little Oriental stick boy. He looked like he's you know he's a native and just a beautiful guy. But when he was 16 years old and made that team. He, he might have been 140 pounds. He was so little and slight, but just tough, like tough and so good. And it just it was so neat to see him develop and grow as a junior player, but then just to see him blossom as an, as an NHL player. Like, and he finally, like, his, he grew in his body, you know, caught up to what he could do with his mind, and he was just a hell of a player and, and tough, like pound for pound. Like, that's one of the toughest people I've ever seen in my life. And just a great dude. Came from a real bad upbringing, and and did a lot of things that he made made things right, made life better for his family and friends that were good people around him from back in Portage, in Portage, the Prairie, Manitoba. 
you know, he came from a bad situation but made good and took care of a lot of people along the way. Like, it's just a great story. Absolutely, yeah. I love. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Asham. He's uh, like I said. He's. I feel like he's pretty underrated as far as uh, you know fighters go, and uh, maybe it's because he he wasn't the most like, big guy or the heavyweights because he was around that time when uh, like all the enforcers were just you know, like six five plus and just huge. Um, but I know. <laughs> oh yeah, but I know you know that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, yeah, his of course his fight with Beagle that knockout is just oh. Just puts him right to sleep and uh, does a little celebration afterwards. I know a lot of people always like that. Um, we'll see. Yeah, and he felt he, like he felt bad after that. Eh? Like I talked to him and he he felt shitty for it, but at the same time too, there's a lot of stuff going on before that happened, and it was it was all good. Like shit, that stuff has happened to all of us. And somebody makes a little silly about it, well, that just charges you up for for you to get a hold of them the next time, sort of deal. But but Ash is a super nice guy, and like anything like that, like. He's got a big heart on him, and that hurt his feelings afterwards, knowing that he, you know, really that really bothered a lot of people. Just like a super nice person, like I can't say enough what a good kid he is. He's not a kid anymore, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it seems like people forget always. You know, at the same time, oh, you shouldn't celebrate after a fight or whatever. Well, you know, you you know how much adrenaline's going through you, and then also how much like you know what what kind of led up to the fight, and then of course. Uh, Asham ended up answering the bell for it later. I believe he fought Erskine the very next game that the uh, Capitals and Penguins played. So uh, he owned up to it for sure, and of course he felt bad. But I never mind a, a couple celebrations here and there. So um, it is what it is, and if people have a distaste for it, well, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> so uh, tell yeah. them they don't need to watch. <laughs> exactly, you don't like it, don't watch it. It's the same thing I say about like the LNH when people don't like it. Yeah, I don't watch it then. Um, yep. <laughs> so, well, you ended up the next year in the ECHL with Columbus, and uh, you know, what was that kind of like playing your first year pro? Oh, it was great. I I went uh, for camp. I went to Houston in, in the International League, and Dave Tippett was coaching there. You had a great experience there. Played half a dozen exhibition games, and kind of like the the I at the time was a you know a lot older league, and they only had a you know three or four rookies, and I wasn't physically mature enough to be be there yet like I had developed late and I was still like when I went to camp there I might have been six feet 180 pounds right and I I was too little to be doing you know a lot of the heavy lifting that way like I always wanted to play too and was a player at times throughout the course of my career but but if I would have been fighting the big boys in the eye then I would have got my neck wrung and I would have got the shit kicked out of me every day so it, it was perfect. Like I, I got a great experience there and knew I'd be back to that level, but needed to go get some, get some, uh, get some experience in the coast and, and had a great time in, in Columbus there. It was a great place to play. We had uh, a play out of the fairgrounds there uh, downtown and, you know, it was a 5,000 seat barn and it'd sell out for every game for five years in a row. So it was just a perfect, uh, you know, double A level experience to play until, um, Till New Year's when I broke the shit out of my leg and kind of ended that season. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's a great place to play, a great place to start. Played for Brian McCutcheon there, you know, a longtime player and coach. He was and coach in Buffalo forever too, as assistant coach. But uh, played for a great guy and, and he helped me uh, further on in, in my career to get get me up to the American League. Right on, man. Um, well, you know, speaking of the American League, the next year you play in the Roche- for the uh, Rochester Americans. But before we get to that, I gotta ask. So you uh, you ended up actually playing in the RHI, which for those out there listening might not know what that is, and it's the Roller Hockey International League. Um, how did that kind of happen, man? 
Yeah. Uh, well, before any of this, I'd never been on rollerblades in my life, right? I grew up on a gravel road out in the country and in Western Canada, there's not a lot of rollerblading going on. Um, but like I mentioned, I broke my leg at New Year's Eve and the compound fracture, bones sticking out of my skin, bleeding all over the place, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I managed to get back in, had great, uh, great doctors at, at Ohio State there in Columbus at University Hospital, uh, put me back together and I managed to come back at the end of the year and play playoffs. But my leg still wasn't quite right. And, and anyways, that after we lost out in the first round, the two of my brothers, Dan and Joe, were playing in the Royal Bank uh, Cup there, the final for for the national championship for junior, tier two junior in Canada. It was out in Summerside, PEI. Sorry, it's a long story, but it all come together at the end here. <laughs> You're um, no, it's what it's here for, man. We got nothing but time. But anyways, it was out in Summerside in PEI in Prince Edward Island, and... Uh, uh, my old man, you know, got the whole family, rounded up some money to get everybody out there, flew us all out there. I, I met the family out, out there from Columbus, and we, um, so we got to watch the boys play in this world, in national championship. Well, I'm there, a guy by the name of Grant Sonier, who was the general manager for Huntington uh, in the East Coast Hockey League. He's from Summerside, him, Jared Glant, uh, lots of great people from PEI, um, but he, we sat around and drank beer and ate lobster for three weeks watching this national championship. And he was the GM for, uh, for Anaheim, the bullfrogs or whatever the hell they were <laughs> down in Anaheim playing out of the pond. So the whole time he's trying to convince me to go down there and, and play. Come on, come on, come on. It's all East coast league, West coast league guys, you know, we'll pay you this much and you, you know, place in a car and all this shit. And like, I never been on rollerblades before grant. I can't go like this is stupid. <laughs> nope. Come on. Anyways, we leave there, go home, and I, I go to work for my dad for a couple of weeks packing boards at the sawmill. And I figured, well, this kind of sucks. Maybe I should go down to Anaheim in California in the summertime and play roller hockey. So I give Grant a call and say, that offer still still good? Said, yeah, absolutely. Come on down. And went down there and played roller hockey. And it was unbelievable. It was a blast. There were 18,000 people every night in the pond in Anaheim. and Totally different game, more like basketball than hockey. But it was uh, it was quite the experience. It was, it was a blast, but... Uh, took me about two weeks to learn how to skate again after that because it is different yeah definitely it's like the general stride motion is the same but then everything else after that it's like way different from ice and i think it's funny now even though i grew up rollerblading of course down in florida i think i'm a better ice skater now which that's not saying much because my skating isn't good either um but yeah it's funny because um what was that Sorry, it took me about five days of running into the end boards and the net going at full tilt trying to impress the coaches that learn how to power slide and stop and whatnot. But we had, we during training camp, we had five guys couldn't couldn't make it. One of the reasons why I made the team because we all, all the boys got drunk down the beach and five guys burnt their feet so bad they couldn't uh, couldn't put them in their skates. So they got rid of some of those guys and kept some of us other yahoos. But oh. it, it was. I loved it down there. <laughs> the struggles of being a California hockey player. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny because I, I, I don't really, there's not too much actually on YouTube about the RHI, but there is, if anybody has Amazon Prime and they're listening, there's something, I forget what exactly what it's called, but it's like the Rock and Rollers, and it's supposed to be from like the New Jersey team. And they talk about yeah, it. Yeah, they used to actually. Best team. They, um, they won the year that I played, they won the whole championship because it was, um, they, had a, they had a different setup on their on their bearings and their guides down below their wheels where they were the offset ones. One wheel was offset one way. The other wheel was offset an alternating deal and they could turn sharper. They could stop faster. And it was just a total unfair advantage. Like they beat everybody because they're, 
their wheels and their bearings were better than everybody else's. Like it made that big of a difference. And no shit. Yeah, Doug, Doug Shedden was coaching. It was the New Jersey Rocket and Rollers, and they played out of the out of the Meadowlands there, where the Devils played out of before. And they had their logo was like Elvis Presley, like <laughs> yep. not fifties Elvis Presley, like eighties Elvis Presley, the fat jumpsuit Elvis Presley with slick back and gold glasses. That was their logo on their freaking jerseys. Like it was all the jerseys. It was a fucking gong show. But yeah, <laughs> that's where that came from. I got one sweater off to send you a picture after this. It's an old Gary Goulash Orlando Jackals one, and that one's just fucking atrocious. But I love the damn thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. They used to pack out the pond is what I heard. And, of course, well, you just said it, and then that's what they were saying on that little documentary video thing or whatever, that the pond was just packed out. You wouldn't even think so for roller hockey. But, um, yeah, it lasted for quite a while and then, uh, of course, ended up folding. But, um, no, it's cool that you got to experience some RHI. You don't, you don't hear about that league too much anymore. No, it was – well, big thing, it was, there was no real big-name guys. Like, the big-name hockey guys – you know, they were all guys that played in the West Coast League and guys that played in the East Coast League, right? So it was guys had some guys carved out a real good, real good niche and a real good livelihood there for a while because a lot of the, you know, what guys were getting paid was kind of standardized, but what guys would get from the wheel companies and the bearing companies and and the different equipment guys, like guys made tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars off of these these endorsement deals, especially in Southern California. Right. So well, you, were you able to fight because you managed to have 101 penalty minutes um, with the Buffalo Wings? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. I got traded, eh? Like, all the guys' heat, feet healed up from getting burnt in the sun. <laughs> I said, get and going, so, kid. <laughs> yeah, and so I got traded to Buffalo. Like, I am not fucking going to Buffalo. I got traded in roller hockey. You don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not going. Same thing. Like, shit, am I going to go home and pack boards all summer or am I going to go to Buffalo? And I had two buddies there. Joel Coombs and Derek Wood, who I played with in Columbus, were were playing in Buffalo, and they called me up and said, "Hey, you got to come here. We're having a blast. It's it's great. We're playing roller hockey, and they're paying us money to do this shit. Like, come on." I said, "Well, my buddies are there. Like, why not? I'm gonna go and, and you know enjoy the experience, right? See something new, see some more country, and and went and and had a blast. Our team was horrible, and we get about three thousand people in Marine Midland, like where the Sabers played, whatever they call her now. I don't even know, but." It was uh, it was a it was a donkey show too. We were on the road one day, and we guys had wives and girlfriends and stuff living there with them. And we we're on the road. I think we we're in, in actually in Orlando. And the moving truck showed up to our apartments, and they loaded all the girls' shit up and took them down to the no-tell motel and dumped all our stuff out on the lawn. So yeah, not paying your bills. Here you go. And they parked all the girls in this motel, which wasn't. Then it just turned into an absolute circus down there with everybody just roller skating around, drinking and partying all day long. It was, it, it was fun. It wasn't real life. It was absolute fun for for that the last month or so that we were there. But back to your question, though, like fighting, like fighting was about the most similar part of the game uh, than anything. Just being on your skates and being able to kind of dig into the sides of your wheels and stuff. It was very very similar, and yeah, got to scrap quite a bit, but. The penalties were minute and a half long penalties, so if you got a major, it was a four minute one. So it was a little bit different, harder to rack up bigger numbers, but it was still easy to find partners in that because everybody had had a couple of tough guys. And yeah, we had fun training to beat shit at each other on the ice, practicing on that damn sport court. So it was a lot of fun. There you go. Yeah, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, the looks of it. And the, it always reminds me of like what the roller hockey too is the old pro beach hockey league. I don't know if. Uh, 
if you've ever seen that. That was I just remember seeing I was like super little and it was on uh I think it was like ESPN like two or three or whatever the hell it was at the time. But you know, pro beach hockey out there in um California and they have fight fight clips of that on YouTube somewhere you can find those. Those are freaking hilarious. Um Yeah, that was a that was kind of the, the successor, right? That that's why the RHI folded. They lost their deal with ESPN. And it was on ESPN too. Not the Ocho. Not the Ocho. <laughs> And yeah, that was kind of the successor that uh, the pro beach stuff because they had the ramps in behind the net oh, and you got yeah. afterwards for doing tricks and shit. And the guys asked me to, I had a couple of phone calls to go down there and play that. I'm like, fuck, I can't even stand up on this stuff normal, let alone trying to do tricks and ramps and shit. But, but I'm sure the boys down there had a lot of fun doing it. But yeah, it was, uh, that was something really different when they started throwing obstacles and ramps on there. And, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, extra points for more tricks. Gotta love the '90s. <laughs> um, well, so you know, after your little tenure in the uh, the RHI, you ended up with the Rochester in the AHL. How did that kind of come about? Well, that uh, the coach that I had in Columbus there, uh, Brian McCutcheon, he got the job in Rochester, and he took he told a few of us during the year, like, you know, we did a good job for him and played hard for him, and he said, whenever we get a chance to pull you guys up, like you guys are coming. So same thing, me and Derek Wood. We're the first two guys that uh, they got a chance to call us up. You know, during during the year, I'd actually been traded from um, from Columbus to Richmond during that season at the start of the year. And then as soon as there was injuries and stuff in Buffalo, injuries and stuff in Rochester, uh, Brian was able to call call some guys that he wanted and needed that he knew what we could do and brought us up to up to Rochester. So the two of us went up there and kind of fit right in. Well, there you go. Um, and you, you had a couple of tough teammates up there, too. And, God, I wish I could have your fight card from all these damn years, but unfortunately I don't. Um, but you also had some tough teammates to ask about, of course. So uh, we'll get into that. And you had uh, the Nigerian nightmare, Roman Ender, and you had Jean-Luc Grandpierre. What was it like playing with those two animals? Oh, those two buggers were deep partners, those two big black guys. Like, they were tough as nails. Like, Rooms was, like, as big as, big as a fridge. He was... Like, he must have been 260 pounds, 6'2", 6'3", and just huge and scary. When he got mad, it was, look out. Everybody get the fuck away from him. <laughs> but he was kind of the guy that ended everything. And Lukey was great, big, tall. Like, he was young then, tough, you know, string guys out and just beat the piss out of guys. Like, they were tough. Also, another guy, Greg Walters, was there who was r- super tough in the American League for a long time. And I lived with Greg, and he really showed me the ropes and took care of me on and off the ice. And he was great. We had so many older, good, good guys there that really taught us the ropes and not of not just the fighting stuff, but just how to be a professional and and how to look after yourself on and off the ice, and and you know, just just how to approach the game and how to do things the same every day. Like it, it was a great learning experience for me, and, and I love being part of that that big pack where. You know, it didn't matter if somebody got the best of one of us. They had four or five other guys. Most teams were like that too, but it was great to have that kind of backup from from older guys, and they all looked after me great. And it was it was a lot of fun. Right? Yeah, it's, that's just how it was back then. Teams would just be stacked with like you know four or five guys. Um, you know, and so do you. Do you happen to remember maybe who your first AHL fight would have been? Yeah, it would have been uh, White, Colin White. Oh, there you go. How did that Bottom go for him. you? Uh, I ran him in the corner. He gave me a shot. I grabbed him. And I thought, yeah, 
I'm going to get Scrap. He was kind of a bigger name, kind of big prospect for New Jersey at the time. We're playing Albany in Rochester. And I took a big swing at him, missed him. He bought me one. I went down on my knees. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in big trouble. But he kind of let off on me, thinking I was a little young or weak or whatever. And I stood right up and right into him and smeared his nose all over his face and kind of had a good little tilt for the rest of it. And I get to the penalty box, and there was blood everywhere, down the back of my neck on the front of my shirt, on my pants, in my ears. It was all him. His oh. nose just exploded, right? And I got, got back to the bench and all the boys like, that is such a great job. You did such a great job, kid. You beat the snot out of that that guy. I didn't beat the snot of him. I got him with one real good punch. Like, don't get me wrong. But I figured, well, shit, I'm in the second best league in the world and I'm hanging in there with guys that are pretty damn tough. I think I'll, I'll be all right. And it, it, it went pretty good from there. Yeah, coming back to the bench out of like a uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. <laughs> yeah, you did good, kid. <laughs> yeah, there's bloody red. And actually, I think it was the next game I fought. I fought Bones. I fought Dennis Bonby, and we had probably one of the longest fights I've ever been. And me and Dennis are good buddies. We fought a hundred times. We did a lot of um, a lot of stuff together at PHPA, and and you know are good friends now. But was, I think that was my second fight in the American League, and me and Dennis went for about three minutes straight, and it was. I remember being so goddamn tired, I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die. And I was like 21 years old and just hung in there forever. It was a great, great fight. We both landed 100 punches, and, and it was good. And, and every same thing came back to the bench, and all those boys that I looked up to are like, kid, you just fought the toughest guy in this league, and you fought him for three minutes. Like, you're the man. You're awesome. We love you. And, and they looked after me even better after that. It was, it was great getting in a couple of scraps at that level with guys that were – you know, supposed to be something pretty damn cool, and they were, and, and not getting my head kicked in. And right away, I figured, hey, I can do this shit. This is going to be all right. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, if you're fighting Bonvi for three minutes, you're doing something right, <laughs> or maybe something wrong, I guess, depending on however you want to look at it. Um, you got to be crazy enough to fight Bonvi. Uh, absolute legend of the minor leagues. It's funny because I had him down on the fight card. Of course, it's good thing I asked you because I didn't know if you would if that was your first meeting with him uh, whenever it comes up. But, uh, no, that's cool. And, of course, yeah, it reminds me of, like, the fight he had with, I think it was uh, Vandenbush, where they just go for, like, I don't know, probably like, three minutes as well. It's just insane that you can do that. I probably would, I'd be throwing up or passed out, <laughs> like, probably a minute in. Not even, I don't even think, I think a minute's like, giving it a stretch, too. So that's absolutely oh, shit. insane. That shit wears you out for the weekend. You get one of those big tilts on Friday, you're not the same till Tuesday or Wednesday the next week. And, and that's that's one thing when you got to go out and fight again and again. But when you're trying to play too, it's, it's fucking tough some days. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Um, so you know, we'll, we skip ahead a little bit here uh, on my notes because um, you know you played a couple games here and there uh, with the, with Columbus and then Richmond. Um, then you kind of get to the uh, BC Iceman in the old U-Haul League, and you managed to put up 390 penalty minutes for them. That's unreal. Uh, what was what was kind of your your take on the U-Haul league and did you like playing there? The I didn't mind the league at all. Just like our team in Binghamton, I was the only guy that would that would fight regularly. We had a couple of guys that would do it once in a while. One guy, Dougie Johnson, always always remember him. Great guy. I lived with him. And he's from Climax, Saskatchewan. So I always remember where he's from. He's from Climax, which is fucking hilarious. But <laughs> Dougie would scrap from time to time but he knew he was going in against guys that were were going to hand him his lunch and a lot of times they did he did all right sometimes but he was the only other guy on the team that would would even think about dropping their mitts so i had to do a lot of that stuff by myself and 
I, I go from before, like I say, in Rochester, where we had a whole pack of guys that were that loved doing it and were good at doing it to a, to a place, you know, at a lower lower level where I'm the only guy. It got long some nights there in that league because every team in that league had three or four or five guys that were, were legit heavies or tough middleweights, and, and it was me on our team, and that was it. And I was trying to play too. Like I was trying to get back to the American League as, as a player, not just as a scrapper, and I was trying to, you know, play on the power play and kill penalties and look after all that shit too. So there were some long nights in the old U-Haul, especially taking two or three days by bus to get to Thunder Bay to go fight three times, fight oh. Mel, fight fucking everybody else up there, and then get booted out and then go back at her and do her again the next day, right? Like there was some long, and the and the travel in that league too. Like with us in Binghamton, we had. We had Utica in our division, and then we had Winston-Salem and Asheville in our division. That was our division, two teams in North Carolina and our, us two teams in New York. So there's 16 hours by bus back and forth there. And, and then Utica, I got to fight Sergio Bears 20 times that fucking year and have <laughs> have Dave Schultz yelling and screaming at me, chasing me around in his cowboy boots, and he's going to kill me every day too, which was, it was a fucking blast and learned a ton. I learned more fighting Sergio Bears that year than I learned about fighting in the 25 years before that like just learned how to throw both ways better how to feel an opponent what they're doing when to fight when not to fight all that kind of stuff like got a real education in that league for sure well the whole time trying to trying to play and, and score goals too so it, it was tough some days but but it made a guy stronger and, and i i love my time there i really did yeah, I always loved the U-Haul League, and uh, you know, it's probably my favorite minor league still to this day. Of course, I'm prob- probably biased because it's what I grew up watching. But, uh, yeah, the old Thunder Bay team when you had Mad Mel and you had uh, Kevin Holiday on there. I'm not sure if he was there at that time. I'm trying to think of the years here. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> going to Thunder Bay, pack a lunch because it's going to be a long night. Um, did you ever have any? Oh, you're done your three fights by the end oh, of the first. Oh, like, yeah. Beer <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Long night, but it's going to be a sh- short last. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, did you ever have any uh, run-ins in Quad City with, like, Toporowski or anything like that? No, not with Topper, but with, with Goo. Like, I fought Goo when he was... Oh, there you go. And actually, like, I came back to Quad A, like, when the Flames had their farm team. I was yep. there in Quad Cities. And I remember, like, just from listening, like, that's where you are born and kind of grew up a little bit and have family and shit there. But, yeah, I, I lived there. And I loved going there. Like, that rink, that was the... To that point, like even throughout the American League, like playing in the U-Haul and we're playing in Binghamton in this shithole, which is still a shithole, and I don't care what people there think. The rink is a shithole, is what I'm saying. Not the town, the rink. But you go, you roll into Quad Cities, and you know our rink sucks. You got bad room. You go in there, the place is packed, eight nine thousand people, big video screen, fans going nuts. Good team, tough team, right? Like. It was intimidating for teams going in there for sure. Like it, but it was fun. Like that really opened my eyes. Like, wow, this is what a, what a you know a minor league team should look like. The with the rink and the stands and the success that they had too. Like they were, they had a dynasty there, and it was hard playing in there, but it was fun too. But yeah, like I, I fought Goo in there. Like I don't think Kerry was playing anymore. Like like I know those guys. I played against his younger brother, and uh, my brother Dan played in Spokane, where where Kerry played and. Um, a couple of guys I know from, from my area here in Sylvan Lake in central Alberta that, that played on that Memorial Cup winning team in Spokane, uh, Mike Jickling and and guys like that, that, that I knew about Kerry and all that stuff. I still can't get over that. 500 and some fucking minutes, 
And you don't count tens. They still don't count tens in the in the fucking Western League. Like, how the fuck do you get 500 minutes? I got 200 or 240, and that's a lot. Like, that's 300 or 350 in, in any other league, and that was a lot of work. How the fuck do you get 500 <laughs> minutes? That'll last forever. Oh, yeah, that's never getting broken, especially with today. Um, but it is insane to think about. And I think I was ta- I, I would been talking to uh, Darren over at Fourth Line Voice before about it, uh, just kind of going back and forth. And I want to say if you calculate the tens, like if you threw some tens in there, it's almost up to like 700 penalty minutes. It's it's something that's yeah. just unreal to even think about. No, and that's every night. And then, like I know when I played in the Western League, there's a lot of monsters. But you go another, you know, your four-year generations back, like one or two more back, and those, like they should all be in fucking jail, those guys. They're <laughs> Killers, like absolute killers, huge men, big farm boys, and fucking mean. Like wanted to poke you. If they couldn't beat your head off, they'd fish hook you. They'd eye gouge you. They'd spear you in the face. And all that stuff went. You didn't get suspended for anything. Like that is, that's unbelievable. It just blows my mind. It's, yeah, it was a different world back then. And there was even, I can't remember who Topper's fighting. Uh, I think uh, Fourth Line Voice has it on YouTube. And he's fighting somebody and then when when they go down the dude like takes Toporowski's arm and I don't know if it's like facing like backwards like this or whatever and just wrenches it back pretty much like just fucks his whole arm up and his shoulder or whatever and I don't even think I think the guy might have gotten like one or two games for it and then the, I guess the, the settlement for what I understand was they weren't allowed to play each other again the rest of the year because of course Topper crazy enough uh, he would have done some dumb shit back to him because if oh, you ever, oh yeah, well <laughs> you have them facing. Uh, I forget who it was in the damn. I can't for, can't remember all these teams, but it was the Memorial Cup, and they're they're facing some team from the queue. And Toporowski, he's not involved in anything. And then someone tries to poke the bear as there's a line brawl going on in the corner, and Topper's standing by the bench. Someone tries to fight Topper. He ends up beating the doors off, and the guy's down. And Topper's just sitting there, just throwing bows at him, and it's some shit straight out of WWE. And the guy's wearing a chain. Topper steals his chain off of him, still throws some elbows, and then throws it into the be- throws the chain into his uh, into the Spokane bench as like a fucking memento. Absolutely, you gotta grab chains. I that's how I was taught in the Western League. Somebody's <laughs> Fucking fruity enough to be wearing chains or dumb enough to be wearing chains out there, you take their fucking chains. You rip that shit off and you take it home. That's yours. Fuck you. Come get it. That was that was the total mentality of the entire league. Like, that was it. But he's doing that in the fucking Memorial Cup fucking tournament, for Christ's sakes. No, and you don't get suspended for it. Like, that was just fun. Like, oh, yeah. And then you got Bob McKenzie on there. I, th- I think it was Bob McKenzie saying he's like, "Oh, you know, excuse me for sounding like a bleeding heart, but this is my this is kind of getting ridiculous here." <laughs> and I mean, Spokane it just was beating the that's doors great. off of them. Yeah, and they and they win the Memorial Cup. So fuck whatever you do to get that done. That's yeah. part of it. That's exactly. a big part. Exactly. Fucking a right. <laughs> um, well, so you know the the next year you end up you played four games for Wilkes Bear. But the team I really want to ask you about is this Richmond team because it was a uh, you had quite a squad there. You had yourself who had you had 457 penalty minutes. That's 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 getting up there. You're, I mean, what you're fucking 50 away from Topper's record, a little bit a little bit less than that. So I mean, you were putting up some serious pims that year, and you also had uh, Trevor Sen and your two brothers there as well. So you had three Vandermeers on the fucking team, and then you had Trevor Sen. What was it like that year? That was probably the most fun year of hockey I've ever had. And those games I played in Wilkes-Barre, they were just a burn-off suspension. <laughs> I, I refused call-ups. Like, I didn't want to go. We were having a great year. 
Uh, I didn't want to go somewhere to the American League and go fight for, you know, three or four games and get sent back. Like, we had a really good thing rolling there. Like, fuck, I had damn near a point a game. It took my glove and sticks when I scored my 30th, or my, yeah, my glove and sticks were scoring my 30th for having over 400 minutes and 30 goals in a season. Took them to the Hockey Hall of Fame. They're probably in the basement or buried underneath something, but they're in there somewhere <laughs> when I scored my 30th. But we had such a good year going. We had such a good group of guys there, and it was just fun. And it, it wasn't just... Like, my brother Dan was tough. My brother Joe was not tough, but he's a hell of a defenseman, good player. Um, we had Kevin Knopp. We had Center. We had um, Steve Dumonsky And just, we had so many good guys. Uh, Craig Patterson, like, tough, tough team and really skilled. Like, we had such a good year. It was fun. And I wound up those games in Wilkes-Barre. They were just a burn-off suspension because I bumped into a goalie by accident, and they gave me probably the longest suspension or one of the longest I ever got. I think I got six games, but if I was in the American league and we weren't playing in Richmond, I could play there. Like if the days matched up. So I just sent back and forth on paper every day, just to burn off a suspension and make a little bit more money in the American league. But I, I was happy to get back down there. And the only reason I went there is because Bonby was called up to Pittsburgh at the time. So like it, it all, it all goes together. Eh? Like right. all of us guys are all very, you know, if not totally interchangeable, but we're all doing this stuff at the same time for a long time. And the things that we did were valued by teams. And if one of us would go somewhere, well, then they bring another one of us in. And that's why so many of us played on so many different teams. But we played for a long time. It wasn't like we were total shit or didn't do our job right. So other people wanted us. And when, once one of us would leave from one town or we're making too much money, then the next one would go to the next town and make a little bit less money until he was a little bit older, and then he'd have to leave and go to the next town because he's making too much money. So we all could just kind of chase each other around the American League for a long time. Absolutely, yeah. And, you, and of course, when you get to your fight card here in a bit, um, it's funny. You see that like almost almost the same guys sometimes that you fought, and some guys you fight like fucking five, six times, which is uh, crazy to think about. Um, you know, well, what Trevor said, I got to ask, and of course, uh, he, I believe he listens to the show too, and I've had some some private message back and forth between uh, me and Trevor, and awesome dude. Uh, what was it like playing with him, man? I mean, he would rip it up, absolutely just put up the points and put up the pims too. So uh, what was it like playing with center? TS is awesome, eh? Like, he's he's little, right? Like, he's 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, yeah, Jack. he's not a big guy. Not big. Fight anybody. Like, wore a little Gretzky Jofa, eh? Like, and he fought everybody. He did not. He still doesn't. He doesn't give a fuck who you are, how big you are, how little you are. If he can fucking beat you up or change the momentum in a hockey game or you look funny at him, you're fucked. Like, he's coming for your, your eyes. Like, tough as nails and just a great great little human being like he's taken a few too many shots to the head i think because he's a little screwy some days but he, he was just an absolute pleasure to play with and had such a big heart on him he'd do anything for anybody on on his team and, and just a great guy great teammate and and like my brothers dan and joe they they both play with him for a long time as well longer than i did and and they love him he took care of those kids all over town and and just I can't say enough good things about TS. He's just a beauty. He's one of a kind. There's no doubt about it. I still talk to him from time to time, and and just I love it. He makes me laugh. He's one of the guys that just makes your day better just by being around him or hearing his goofy fucking voice. <laughs> right, and yeah, it's funny. You look on Facebook, and I mean, he's still just fucking just Jack Diesel too. He's like never like he never left the gym. Uh, so, did you happen to witness the uh, the the fight with him and Tasker by any chance? You, no, I think no. That, I think that was the year before. Like oh. I know brother Joe was playing there, maybe even brother Dan too. 
but yeah, that I've seen that on video a hundred times. Like, it just doesn't that, get old. No, it's good stuff. And then I've seen like like TS fight other guys like that. And like I've I fought like Tasker as well too. But but how different guys match up differently with each other. But that that one fight, it's like it's perfect. Like if they're bigger, they probably would have knocked each other out about fifteen different times. But they're both just the right size or right power or however it matched up just to make that thing go on that long and landing that many punches on each other. Like, that's a beauty. Love watching that one. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it's crazy to hear Tasker talk about it. And uh, I had him on the show. So for those listening, you can go back and listen to that one. He just described when he's like, it's like hitting a fucking post and he's just not going down. It's just, I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> like, you're giving it your all in every punch, you're throwing your hardest, and the guy's just eating it. I, oh, God. <laughs> fuck that's that. the, that's the worst feeling ever when I'm like okay i got this guy i hit him as hard as i could that's good he should be that's all i got and they fucking smile at you like, oh no i'm in big fucking trouble now <laughs> but they're both doing it to each other though so fuck that's gotta feel even extra weird yeah exactly yeah fucking insane um well so the next year you, you uh you ended up in province with the uh, the bruins and you, there's there's one guy I want to ask you about here, because um, of course right right before this is where we get to we're almost getting to your fight card. Uh, so just a couple more teammates I want to ask you about. And he was a former former guest on the podcast. He was part of the LNH special, but you had uh, Jason Renard on there with you. Do you remember Jason Renard? He only played 11 games that year, and I know you had quite a few. So um, I don't know if you remember playing with him, but uh, if you do, what was it like playing with Rennie? Yeah, they, they brought him in there. I think that was after it was after Christmas time and stuff. But yeah, he was a gamer. He'd fight whoever. Like, yeah, I think he only played ten or eleven games there, but he, fuck, he must have fought at least half a dozen times when he was there. And we had a good team that year. And there was really for toughness there. It was kind of me and Keith McCambridge who were looking after most of the most of the heavy lift in there. And it was nice to have somebody else in there for for a little while. Like, I think he's a couple three years younger than I am, but it was. He did a great job and, and just one of those things too where I think he probably would have stayed there longer without, you know, guys getting sent back from from Boston. Eh? Like that was even even for myself, like it really affected how much I played and everything like that too. Like I scored down near twenty goals before Christmas and didn't score another one afterwards because they sent they sent a bunch of guys down from Boston and we were too too full of guys. So guys I got the opportunity at the end of the year before to come up because there was injuries the other way. And got to play in playoffs with Providence uh, from at the end of that year, and got got my foot in the door for the next year with uh, with Pete Laviolette, who was coaching, and he really liked his East Coast League guys and bringing guys in into play. You know, whenever there was a chance or injuries, he he give guys a chance, and not just to, not just a fight, but but to play a regular shift and get in there and show what they could do. And and they did that with Randy. He got a, he got a chance to play and did really good. But you know, it was just the numbers game, like it like it always is. If you're not under contract and you're not uh, you know, part of the big club's ideas and plans. Well, you're the first one back out the door. So, so he acquitted himself really good. Like he, he did exactly what he should have been doing and played hard and played good and got some good scraps, but, but there just wasn't room. So, so, you know, off he went to somewhere else and, you know, he had a great long career too. So it's not like, uh, that ended or stopped what he was doing. It was just, just like, uh, well, you got to take it like a learning experience and move on and take the good info out and, leave the bad info at the door and away you go absolutely yeah jason renardi was a hell of a player too he'd play the game and put up a lot of crazy penalty minutes and i love some of his clips out the lnh um and so well the next year you're with the phantoms and listen to this lineup for those listening you had yourself jesse bullerys frank lassard craig brunel and todd fedoric what was it like playing out there 
Well, that was fun. You're not talking <laughs> about Mikey Siklenka either. Or who the hell else? We had Craig Brunel in there. I think that maybe that was the next year. We had so much toughness in there and playing out of the spectrum. Like it was, it was perfect. I loved it there. Like I was, that was the longest time I was ever in one place. And the crowd, blue collar, South Philly fans, like they, they loved what we did. We had a very skilled team too, really good team. Like the Flyers signed a lot of high end older talent too to, you know, to be depth for them that were great players for us guys like Mark Gregg and John Slaney and, you know, the list goes on and on of just hell of players that that we had a good team and we had one of the toughest teams and we played in that barn and the crowd fucking was nuts and we started acting like idiots they got more nuts so it was just fun and I got got to play with my brother Jim there like I'm really lucky I got to play with, with two brothers there in in Richmond in Virginia you know it's three and a half thousand miles from home got to play with my brother Jim. Well, I didn't really know that that well because I'm five years older and was gone to junior while he was just, just still a kid. Right. And that was his first year pro. Got to play with him that year. And fuck, he's no slouch himself when it comes to the toughness. So it was a lot no, of fun. Not at that, all. That team, that team was fun. Uh, you know, John Stevens was coaching. He'd played there the year before. He was, he was great for all of us ding dongs. And Big Shell Samuelson was helping coach the defenseman. And it was just fun. Like, there's no other way to say it. When you have five, six, seven guys that are as tough as anybody else in the league, it's fun. You can do whatever the fuck you want to do to the other team, and you're you're going to be okay. It was good. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, you know, at this point in your career, man, you, you know, uh, are you you're comfortable where you're at? And you're, you've kind of really embraced the enforcer role and the fighter role. Um, did you do any training or anything like that in the off season? to, I don't know, maybe enhance your skills or take boxing or anything like that? No, I just, I I played. Like, that's, I was always still trying to play. Whatever I was doing scrapping-wise, too, I was trying to make make more room for myself and my teammates so I could, you know, get more ice time, get more points, and do that sort of stuff and try to advance. I was always still trying to get to the National National Hockey League. Like, everybody's, you know, dream as a kid that, that starts off playing this silly game. Um, but for training off season, like I just, I skated and I skated and I skated like, and, you know, did, you know, the odd bit of weight training and stuff like that. But, but for fighting, like, no, nah, I was just, everything came natural to me. I didn't need to do any, you know, lots of guys now or in the middle, even at that time, you know, we're doing the boxing, doing the martial arts and that yep. sort of stuff. It, for me, it was all just, it was feel. And I, I loved it because when. And I still love it and miss that sensation and that feeling of getting in a fight because for me, it was just, um, it's, you know, to, for a stupid movie reference there, for the love of the game, when old Kevin Costner clears the mechanism and the whole crowd goes quiet, blurs out. And that's how it was for me. Like, there was no sound. Everything slowed right down. And it was just, I loved being in those moments and, that feeling, even when you got hit once in a while, like you'd not even really feel them at the time, but just everything to me slowed down, and I love being in that in that moment, and I and I wish I could get back to it more often. It'd be nice to do that in other things, not just scrapping for sure, but but I love that feeling, and and I still crave it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's funny. It's it's almost like talking to some of my uh, my buddies that I was in the military with, and you. Uh, you know, I was I was never in combat or anything like that, and um, 
you know, I have some buddies who were, and they, they always say it's like the, the adrenaline rush you get when you're doing that and you're actually like in a firefight, I guess. Um, you won't ever get it, and it's something like you won't, you won't get that rush or that, that feeling again uh, once you're out of the military. So I, I always kind of look at that as the same way, well, like you just mentioned. It's like you, you won't get that sensation doing anything else. It's just like you're, you're like a rock star. You're like you're in the Rocky movies, like they say in Ice Guardians. For that, that moment, you're in your center ice or wherever the case may be tens thousands of fans screaming and hooting and hollering uh of course you don't hear them but then you go to the box and you sit down and you're kind of on the way uh, on the come down from the adrenaline rush and you're kind of looking around it's like what a feeling that's got to be and of course like you said i feel like you just wouldn't be able to get that anywhere else no it's not and and i definitely not compare myself or what any of us ding-dongs did as as anything like that with military service or anything like that happy memorial day weekend by the way and thank you for your service absolutely everybody that does that that's um can't say thank you enough for for letting us live the lives that we do but uh but that being said i don't think just to further your point there right like you can't get that shit anywhere else whatever that whether it's the adrenaline or whether it's just the, the focus the adrenaline's a huge part of it for sure and but when it's done then it like reality kind of floods back in and just like splashes back in like a wave and like, oh shit what happened oh my face hurts my hands hurt what the hell's going on i don't know where i'm at <laughs> but while it's going on that those few moments it is it's to me anyways it was pure bliss and happiness and i loved it you know i i it's it's really hard to describe and i'm i'm glad it's hard to describe because if if everybody got to feel that everybody would be doing it it, that's one of the things that that for me i think that makes me a little little different maybe special maybe not but but i love those that feeling and i wish i could get it doing something else (laughs) absolutely um well here we are we're finally at the part of the interview where i get your fight card um it's 0203 and jesus christ you fought some absolute animals here uh, so I guess we'll start it off with uh, Matt Karkner. What was it like fighting him? Oh, me and Kirk's had lots of good battles. Like big, strong, tough, tough guy. He was actually uh, he's brother-in-laws with uh, was it, with Brian Helmer or no uh, shit. One of our really good defensemen there. Anyways, it'll come to me later. But but anyways, me and Kirk's we got along really good together off the ice, the Ontario boy and stuff like that. But. But yeah, on the ice, he like he played all the time too. He wasn't just 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 meat. He he was a damn good defenseman, and anytime I could take him off the ice with a scrap, it was good. And we always had good ones. He just he was so strong and a big big boy, and but we always had real good even matches, and it was fun. We had a good time fighting each other. <laughs> there you go. Um, and so another name that comes up on this one, and of course I I actually uh, know him more for his LNH stuff, but that's just because you know I'll fall down the the rabbit hole for that that league all the time as far as YouTube goes. Um, but you fought Mike Varhog. What was it like fighting him? Oh, good Western boy, a fucking mutant though. He's huge as shit. <laughs> yeah, he but, is. But yeah, big Mikey. Like with with a lot of the guys in there, I'm sure the list will come up and stuff as you go forward. I was lucky enough to get a lot of these guys. Like these guys were all prospects about doing this stuff in the NHL, and and they're great big boys. But a lot of them hadn't figured out exactly, you know, whether they're uh, they're they hadn't bulked out yet, they hadn't filled out yet, their their minds hadn't caught up to their great big bodies yet. Because once all these guys got things figured out, like Boogie's a great example of that, right? And I, I've heard other guys talk talk with you about him too. Like he really didn't know what he was doing. Well, 
he's just a great big kid, right? And same as uh, same as bigger and guys like that were just they were man child yet. Eh? They hadn't kind of got things figured out yet. When they did, they were fucking destroyers. But I was lucky enough to get all these guys before they figured things out. And then you, you look. I always looked okay, even if I got beat up. I still look pretty damn good because, like, fucking bar hugs, what, six, seven or something stupid oh, yeah, some, like that? Some right? stupid shit, yeah. So if, as long as they don't beat the absolute shit out of you and knock you out, you look like a fucking rock star. Six, one, two, 200, 210. Like, fuck, you can't lose, no matter what. And then if you wind up getting really lucky and knocking the piss out of them, well, fuck, you're a superhero and the, the beers and the panties start raining. <laughs> yeah, there you go, absolutely. Um yeah, old Varhog, man, fuck, he was, uh, he was a tough dude. And, of course, he was actually rolling through the LNH until uh, I think Pat Cote got to him one day and uh, one-punched him, and he went down and, like, blew his knee out. And, fuck, Cote's sitting there just giving it to him, too. Just, like, uh, he's, like, flopping on the ground afterwards. That league was just, they didn't give any fucks. Um, and another guy you fought was, uh, you know, he, he definitely paid his dues in the minors and, you know, luckily won a cup with Anaheim and, uh, was kind of one of the last guys to really do it, but it was Sean Thornton, and you fought him multiple times. What was it like fighting Thornton? Yeah, Thornton. We we fought in the coast too before, right? He was in in Hampton Roads before they went up to the American, before the team went to the American League too. And and Thorny was a disciple of Aaron Downey, who I played with Downs in in Providence. And, uh, same sort of deal, just workout uh, nuts, right? And real student of 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 his craft of scrapping and turned himself into like a long, long NHL career, you know, not a big guy, but he took such good care of himself and studies his opponents so well that he got to be a master at it and still could play too. Like he wasn't a bad player at all. And that's what helped, you know, lengthen out his career. But yeah, me and Thorny had great battles, like just good. Like we're pretty similar in size. He was probably a little bit more muscular than me, a little bit thicker, but we had great battles all the time. You know, a lot of those were, you know, there's no big super clear winner one way or the other. Just really good long fights where both guys got lots of good good shots in. And then you go for a beer afterwards because fired everybody up. And you can't really talk to anybody else about this shit that's going on except for the guys that, that are doing it themselves, even though it's on the other team. Those are the guys you usually kind of gravitate towards, um, you know, if you get to spend some time in these cities afterwards. Yeah, I got along good, real good with Thorny and, did a lot of stuff with the PHPA with him as well too, with the professional players, uh, you know, association. So, yeah, had a lot of fun with Thorny. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Thornton is a. I, I, he played like fuck. I want to say like almost 500, 500 minor league games before even getting called up to the NHL. So he paid his dues, and it was good to see uh, him kind I, of be a regular. I think at one he's, point. he's one of the only guys that does have like five hundred in in the NHL and the American League. Like he played a long time. He did, and fucking made a lot of money. Good for him. Absolutely, yeah, no kidding. Um, you know, another guy you fought that year, and uh, some people like his style, and some people don't. It all depends on who you ask. But you fought, uh, and he fought him multiple times throughout your career. Um, but I believe this was the first year you fought him. Was uh, Sean McMorrow? What was it like fighting him? I don't have anything good to say about that guy <laughs> at all. Because every time we fought, he'd jump me. Like we, he'd chirp and chirp. Great. Like I, I wasn't big for chirping. I was when I was younger, but. They got older, like, fuck, you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. But he would chirp and, like, wouldn't go, ever bite straight up. He was younger then, though, too, right? Like, kind of got to put that into perspective there. When guys are younger and they're yappy, they're, you're usually spooked, right? He's fucking ten times the size of me. He shouldn't be spooked to anything. But, yeah, he'd always jump me, that little bugger. And I would love to fight him square up, and I think we'd have a great fight. But 
he'd always jump me and give me a few and then dance around like he, he had the belt all the time and god <laughs> fuck, he pissed me off and like and i don't know him personally off the ice or anything like that but fuck he drove me nuts because i never got to have a real good straight up scrap with him you know what i mean Right, yeah, I definitely understand. Well, I, mean, I don't understand because, of course, I never, you know, <laughs> did it at the professional level or fighting in hockey. But uh, no, I get what you're saying, man. And uh, yeah, it's funny. He's actually still he still played last year until the season got canceled. But even in the LNH, he was still playing. Um, yeah, well, he retired for a little bit and then came back for a season. Um, and he even had a couple tilts this year too. So uh, I mean, good for him. You know, I'd... didn't he didn't he get thrown in the clinker for smuggling dope or something across the border? Yes, he did. And it was apparently like the the way the story goes. He's told it on uh, Darren's podcast over on the Fourth Line Voice, and I'm sure Darren will release that interview later on down the road. And he's, he's kind of coming back out with his new player stuff. But uh, McMorrow goes in depth. I mean, that's like a three hour interview, um, and he goes really in depth with it and kind of tells the whole story there and. Uh, I guess clears the air, but yeah, something like that. Um, okay, yeah, like I, I and I don't know, and I don't know him, and I don't want to be spreading anything or not. But yeah, he always just rubbed me the wrong way. Most guys I got along with just fucking fine. We're all trying to do the same job. We're all trying to you know get to the highest level that we can and look after our buddies and our teammates. And you could always fucking bullshit about that afterwards because, like I said, like there's nobody else that knows what the hell you're going through except for guys in the same situation. I never did that with him and. I don't know. Maybe he's a wonderful peachy guy off the ice, but I fucking don't like him. <laughs> no worries at all. Um, you know, the next guy you fought, and I've had him on the podcast. And he uh, actually had a really good interview on Spit and Chicklets as well, although I don't think they went quite as in depth as I did. Just saying. Um, but of course, I'm wearing a sweater right now, but it's Mike the Real Segroy. <laughs> what was it like fighting Segroy? Oh, Skretsky. He's a beauty. Uh, yeah, well, I think. What the hell? Because I think I was listening to this on yours or maybe one of the other guys' um, podcast too. But, but yeah, I like fought Mikey there, and yeah, he's a big, strong boy, and did all kinds of all the other stuff. I've got to know him after, like same thing, like him living down in Orlando where the PHPA meetings are at every year. He'd come over and we'd sit around, have some beers, and reminisce and see what things were from the other side, right? But but I just remember Mike being fucking super strong and. I, I don't probably only fought each other maybe a couple of times, but they never really got going into big long. I always like things get the longer they went, the better I did. I just, you know, outlast guys sort of deal. But I think with maybe that first one we scrapped there, it was a quick one and both through a couple and maybe he landed one or maybe I landed a couple and then we went down in the ball. And But he was all fucking pumpernickel pickle too dancing around like he won the won the cup hoisting it over his head so that gave him some confidence rolling around with me well that's great but but i i love what he's doing down south there and doing stuff with the kids and and uh you know promoting the game down there in, in florida stuff that's cool as shit and i know he's he's grown and matured as a person lots from when he first started because he was a fucking idiot but he's turned into a real good guy and you know i want nothing but the best for him down there and it's great to hear him hear him talk about his journey and and the different things that he's done and and continues to do but yeah he he was an interesting he was a character for sure and and now he's kind of grown up into a pretty good guy <laughs> yeah he was uh he goes into it in the podcast and of course he talks about how it's like his alter ego the real um he like put on it's almost like a wrestling character he'd put on for the uh 
for the show and the fans then he'd do whatever to the penalty box i fucking love it though you know he's it's always good to have characters like that and i mean he didn't give a shit he'd fight anybody too so uh yeah and he played play with a bunch of my buddies and uh, my brother joe in uh, in lexington i think too in kentucky and you know they had all kinds of scroisey stories too eh? and like that's the kind of thing that i me and my family are really lucky to be interlinked and so many of these other guys like I had brothers that were playing at the same time in the American League, the NHL, the East Coast League, the Central League, all all at the same time, right? So yeah, all these guys from you know, 15 years younger than I am to the guys that I played with that were you know 10, 12 years older than I was, and we have all these stories that we can mix around and tell that all all these different characters that we came in contact along the way, not just the tough guys, but the goal scorers and the goalies and just the the different crazy shit we saw but i know joe always told me crazy stories about scroisey before i even ran into him in the american league and and they were all true he was fucking nuts <laughs> right on man um so another guy you fought that year too and he was your teammate the previous year but you fought old frankie lassard what was it like fighting him I've heard, I've heard mixed things about fighting lassard well that when i fought frankie he he ran my brother jim from behind and we're in chicago playing in chicago and like we'd all play together eh? so he ran jimmy from behind knocked him stupid so i came flying in there trying to get at him and he wouldn't fucking go so he'd throw you know we both get a couple of miners and jump out of the box i chased him around and he wouldn't go wouldn't go and so i turned to go away and then he fucking jumped on my back and beat the shit out of me from behind Fuck, I was mad. So then we both get the boot, and in Chicago, you go off at the end. There's two doors, but they're both out of the same end of the rink, and you got to walk side by side with about 15 feet of cement in between. So I went after him, and the sparks were flying, and we were throwing shopping carts at each other and busting sticks over each other. I was, fuck, I thought I was going to have a heart attack after that one, too. By the time the, the cops were all down there, they pulled us all apart and threw us in our rooms. Fuck, I just about had a stroke. I was so tired, but Frankie, you, you couldn't hurt Frankie. We're playing an exhibition game uh, with Philadelphia with the Flyers, and we're playing, I think it was the Islanders, and he fought Eric, big Eric Cairns, and Cairns fucking hit him in the jaw. They had a great fight, but the one was a doozy. They go to the box, come back five minutes later to the bench. He's, my teeth, my teeth. Said, what the fuck are you talking about, Frankie? My teeth. I think I broke my teeth. And look, and it. His jaw was broken right down the middle, and his, it spread apart like the width of two of his teeth, wide open. It was like he had like a predator jaw hanging there. Like, oh. Frank, I think you broke your fucking jaw. No, no, I okay. I go back out. I go fight him again. Like, no, you're not. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but like he was so tough and so very, very French. But he, I think he tried to strangle his feet with the sock tape. I've never seen anybody in my life use like a ask about that. sock tape on his like. His feet were totally asleep. You could hear him coming from three miles away. He just butchered the ice wherever he went. And he was fast and hit like a truck, and you couldn't hurt him. But you could hear him coming. So guys got out of the way a lot. Fuck, he was he was tough, though. Big lefty. Shit, he, he wrecked a lot of guys. A lot of guys. Yeah, if anybody's ever seen pictures of uh, old Frank Lassard, you'll see he's got about a roll of duct tape on each on each leg, it seems like, with uh, all the sock tape he has on there. I've never seen anything like it. And he, he did that even up until the end over in the uh, LNH because he ended up in that league. Um, he still had the, the long so- or the, the sock tape that's just just a mound on there on each ankle. I just I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it helped for blocking shots, but he was never on the ice long enough to block any shots. <laughs> Absolutely. He was tough. And not taking anything away from Frank, he was tough. And he loved buying like little boys men's medium t shirts and 
he was jacked. He had a little bit of vitamin S in him too, eh? But he, Bucky, <laughs> wore the tiniest T-shirts whenever we'd go out. Like, Frankie, just don't even wear a shirt. Like, we could see your nipples better than if, if he didn't have a shirt on. But he loved showing off his, his big body for sure. Bucky was ripped. He was big. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of uh, chicken and whey protein will do you right, huh? <laughs> yeah, there was, there was so much of that. And that's one thing, like, that... I'm very proud. I've had lots of offers to do that. And I know all the guys that I was fighting, not all of them, but the vast majority in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, the boys oh, yeah. were taking any, any advantage they could, could to get to the top. And there wasn't the big drug testing going on, but I never put any bad, I drank a lot of booze, but I didn't put any, <laughs> any steroids down the hatch. And I'm pretty proud of that for as, as long as I played and as many penalty minutes and all the fights that I got in them pretty proud to be a skinny fat man still <laughs> absolutely yeah it's uh yeah some people i guess uh, more so the fight fans or hockey fans in general kind of look at steroids like it's a bad thing and whatever yeah somebody wants to take steroids fuck it whatever man you're trying to you're literally fighting for jobs out there so if you want to get a little bit of an advantage you know i don't give a shit i don't know that's just no, the way i've always looked at it guys gotta do what they gotta do and and i don't you know blame anybody for doing that or look down my beak at them i'm just glad i didn't like you know, there's going to be long-term effects on that, whether it's in your head or with your body and stuff like that. And don't wish any of that on guys. But, but I was confident in myself. Like, fuck, if I can't do this by myself and being in better shape than guys, well, if I get bigger, I'm going to be slower, and I need to be fast. I need to be quick and need to be dodgy. I need to get where I need to go. And if I bulked up, I, it wouldn't help me. Maybe if I thought it would help me, maybe I would have done it. But I just put those two things together and figured that shit wasn't for me, and I felt really good. If you're a skinny little guy and you beat the shit out of somebody that's definitely jacked up, well, you look even better, right? Exactly. Um, well, speaking of jacked up guys, too, you also fought a guy who did it for years, and I think he did it up until almost 18 or 19. Um, well, it was Trevor Gillies. What was it like fighting Gillies? Oh, big Trev, the animal. He is a beauty. He's a good man. Same thing. I did a lot of stuff with him uh, with the union there with the PHBA and got to know him really good in, in my later years. And, Trev's an animal. Like he, he worked his way, did it the right way to the show, became a student of the game, a student of the fight game, uh, and just, you know, went from not being that that tough, being a big boy, to you know, making himself a fucking destroyer. And he fucking scared the shit out of lots and lots of people, and did it for a long, long time. And, and he's just another really good dude. Like, do anything for you, give you the shirt off his back and heartbeat. And, yeah, I got a lot of respect for Trev, and it's awesome he was doing it right up till you know, just very recently, and that's really cool, because actually, uh, Trev, I think it was the last fight that I got in the American League. He was playing in Bridgeport, and I was either with, with in Abbotsford or in Quad Cities. No, it must have been Abbotsford, yeah, it would have been my last last year in the American League, and that was the last fight I had, was in Bridgeport. I was with, with him, just a good old solid tilt, had fun, and away we go. <laughs> there you go. Um, and and, finally, he, and he's good. And he's a good buddy of mine, too. So That's awesome. Like, yeah, it, it, it's good to see that he did as well as he did for as long as he did. Proud yeah, of him. Absolutely, yeah. He did it for a long time out there, and I think he finished off in South Carolina, I think it was, with the Stingrays. Um, and the last guy from that year, of course, that was just one year. And don't worry, they're all not that long because we'd be here for about two hours. The next year is a little bit longer, or not longer, a little bit shorter. And then from there on, I kind of just picking shows because again we'd be here for four hours if we talk about every single guy you fucking fought uh, but the last guy from that year is Jeremy Yablonski what was it like fighting Yabo and he's another former guest of the podcast 
Oh yeah, Abba was good. Same thing. He his buddies uh, grew up in the same neck of the woods in that uh, that Metal Lake area, you know, like your boy Morasti there. But but Mike Seklinka, who's very underrated, didn't play in North America for a long time, but played with him in Philly, and, and they know each other real good. And I think Yabo played with my brother Dan somewhere too. But anyways, like I knew him, a big strong guy and smart. Like he always. Thing with the elbow, he always had bugger up with his shoulders. Hey, eh? they'd always come out of fucking joint or whatever. But big guy, but yeah, we had a couple of pretty good tussles there. He's another guy, first guy I go and have a beer with. Like he's doing the exact same thing for the same reasons, and just a good, good dude, good Western boy. Can't go wrong with Western boys. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, funny, Yabo was like, I think it was like my sixth, uh, sixth episode I ever had on the podcast, and he was the first like video, like Skype call I did. So I was nervous as all fucking hell for it, and I'm like, I'm talking way back here because I'm like looking at it, so like the audio quality on it is complete shit of like the first ten minutes. Um, but yeah, awesome dude, and you know, bullshit with me afterwards for a little bit, and uh, don't have enough good things to say about Yabo. So uh, no, it's awesome that you fought him, and. Uh, so the next year, you have a teammate i got to ask you about, and one of the most entertaining fighters in the NHL was uh, P.J. Stock. What was it like playing with Stock? Oh, fuck, Stocker and me and Craig Bruby played on the line together for about 10 games. Oh. You think that was fun? <laughs> fuck, fun for us, not for them. Right. If Stocker would just shut up for five minutes, he'd be one of, one of the best guys ever, but he just never stops. Like, on the ice, off the ice, just fucking yap, yap, yap. But fuck, pound for pound, you know, he's got to be one of the toughest guys ever. Like, he didn't give a shit. And he's, like, he's, same thing, 5'10", maybe. Maybe with some nice, fancy Montreal-bought dress shoes or something like that. But, <laughs> but soccer is tough. Like, he, he, he'd go anybody for any reason. And then when the, when him and I and Chief got to play together, fuck, thought he yapped before. He, we had to fucking put a muzzle on him a couple of days because he wouldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> He can do whatever he wants because I'm either going to grab somebody and if you get past me, then you got to deal with Chief. Like, you're dead. You're just dead. Chief was 40 years old and loved beating the shit out of kids. It was so much fun <laughs> playing with those guys. Just an absolute blast. Absolutely. It was, it was cool. I was... You know, I don't watch much of the hockey anymore, the NHL, but last year I was definitely rooting for the Blues, and that was probably the biggest reason was so Ruby can get a, um, get a uh, cup... And, uh, no, it was good seeing that happen for him. And uh, you see all these people, they'll kind of talk about how, uh, oh, these these tough guys shouldn't be coaches and whatever. And it was a big thing with, uh, I think it was James Myrtle. And he went off on wrecking Rocky Thompson for being a coach and whatever. But, no, it was good to see Baruby win the cup and uh, turn St. Louis around, I guess. Yeah, Chief is awesome. But for anybody that says that the tough guys shouldn't be coaches, they have no idea – Number one, we got the best seat in the fucking stands, right? We can see the game closer than everybody else. If you're any kind of tough guy for any length of time at all, you have to understand the game. You have to understand its intricacies and understand when is a good time to fight, when a good time not to fight is, when when it when it's time to turn somebody down or when to beat the shit out of somebody or when to just, just be in one. Not... And that's just understanding the game, let alone the emotions of, you know, looking after your teammates and that sort of stuff. But you have to have a very deep understanding of the game in order to do that job properly for any length of time. It doesn't matter if you're you're six foot nine or you're five foot nine. Like you have to know what's going on. And and it shows so many good coaches, whether they're in the minors or assistant coaches in the NHL, and then a great example of, of Chief, like you have to know 
not only what's going on in the game, but what motivates guys, what you have to know how to get to know people. And you do that as, as being a, you know, quote unquote tough guy or whatever, because you have to understand what makes guys go. Because if your guys that are scoring goals or playing defense aren't motivated, knowing, knowing that, that they're looked after, then you're all sunk. So you, you know, it's a, by being very, very unselfish, you actually wind up being quite selfish because if everybody else around you does really good, then you're going to do good too. So it, it just goes to show, like, and if you don't have respect for somebody like Chief, well, then you're probably a piece of shit or have no feelings at all because he's been there, done that. And if he asks you to do something, he's not asking you to do something that he hasn't done himself. And, and he's just a good person. Good Alberta boy, right? Another good Western guy. You can't yeah. go wrong with that. There you go. You all, oh, everybody, uh, or every time I always hear about someone from Saskatchewan or Alberta, it's always all oh, good Western boy. It's just, I always find that funny with Canada. It's just how it is. Uh, but it's funny because it always seems like for me, it's like uh, Saskatchewan or Alberta. And uh, it's always like those, for whatever reason, it's like the, something in the water out there or something. But everybody's just tough as fucking shit coming from there. <laughs> so we're all from butt fuck nowhere. You have to, yeah, you got to do something. You have to be a little bit stronger, if not in the back, in the mind, in order to get where you need to go. Whether, you know, when back in the day it was because everything was so far apart and you had to work harder just to get anywhere. And then as things go on, well, you're from nowhere. So you don't know what's going on compared to all the guys in the city, right? So, you know, if you're from, you're from nowhere and you get out, you, you probably got something good in your belly. You probably know how to work hard and you probably know how to get along with folks and you know how to work together as a group, so. If you have those things going for you, well, you're a lot further ahead and a lot of folks to start with. So, I don't know. That's how I, I figure anyways. Exactly. Um, so, well, this year, you know, we, we touched on, luckily, we touched on some guys already that were on this fight card, so we didn't have to go through every single person. But uh, you happen to fight Graham Belak, who was the uh, the brother of Wade Belak. What was it like fighting Graham? Yeah, Graham, he was tough. I think I fought him, too, in junior 100 years ago, actually, as well, but... Yeah, same, same as Wade. Like, I tangled with Wade, you know, back in the Western League. And they're just big, strong fucking guy. Like, just big. Big and farm man strong. Like, and just solid, honest guys trying to knock your block off and get the fuck out of the way. You'll probably be okay. But if they get you with one of them, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. And, of course, uh, yeah, I'll always I, – I believe it's, it's in one of the intros. I forget which one it is because I do – Two rotations, but of course I always got the uh, the Belak uh, KO and Brashear on there, and that's a, that was a fucking beautiful lefty landed on him. Um, and so another guy you fought, well, we mentioned him of course out in Thunder Bay, it was but it was uh, Mel Anglestad. What was it like fighting Mad Mel? Um, like me and Mel, are pretty pretty similar scrappers too. Like my nose isn't quite as cute as his, but it's been bent around the horn a few different times. <laughs> you know, just you know not super big but super strong and if he can make it go on for a long time it, he'll come out better at the end and that's the way i think too and i think that one we had up in portland and yeah we beat on each other for a good couple minutes straight and everybody thought it was fantastic on both teams and got every crowd all fired up and fucking away we went <laughs> yeah his uh his draft or not the draft picture but his player picture for washington where his nose is like just cockeyed over to the side is still one of the greatest things I've ever seen and of course it, more props for wearing 69 out there on the ice <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that's, that's great yeah. Fuck what? that's when you know like you don't give a shit fuck it I'm here to fucking entertain and have fun and give her yeah he was 
Exactly. Absolutely. That's what he was there for, and he was probably one of the best tough guys of all time in the minor leagues. And uh, yeah, I got to get myself a uh, a Mel jersey one day just just to put sixty nine and Anglestad on it. That's just is you, doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a guy like I know it's been said before, but you know to start in the U Haul and start like you know you know playing tier two junior and working his way all the way to the NHL and not just having a cup of coffee, but staying for a little while too. Like that's fucking amazing. Like people don't understand, you know, unless you've been through the, the ringer a little bit, but the same as in any job when you work for a long, long time and, and every little step up, up the ladder is a big long one for a guy and you don't quit and you don't say piss on her. Or like I found a nice place. I'm going to stay here and, you know, be comfortable in a different place, but to keep, keep that drive and keep charging to get your way to the NHL and not doing it just as a player, but by fighting, doing it like fuck, that takes bigger balls than most people can, can ever understand. And fucking, I don't know Mel that well. I went to one camp with him in Detroit, uh, my second year and, you know, kind of, you know, we scrapped and stuff like that. We're never buddies or anything like that, but, but I'm just, I'm really impressed and proud of guys that, that have done it, you know, the long hard way. And it's, it's, it's a pretty special thing for a guy to do that. Yeah, and it's cool to see that he's doing. I think I believe he does like firefighting or uh, EMT work now or something along those lines. But um, you know, did you ever do anything with like your jersey? Did you ever have any jersey tricks like bigger sleeves or uh, different tie downs that you'd have? No, I'd, like when we were younger and stuff before any of the rules changed. Like I always had a big jersey, sometimes a goalie jersey, but most times they were too baggy in the cuff there where I just got the biggest jersey I could. It was the biggest thing, right? Like you had a 62 or a 64. You know, most guys wear a 58 or a 60 at the most sort of deal. But just get a little bit bigger jersey. I was never a great big giant guy, so a little bit bigger <clears throat> bigger jersey on me was good because I could slip my right arm out or slip the left out or get the fuck out of all of it, too. I know that the year in the, in the coaster, I had all those minutes, like, guy, the a lot of the jersey we wore so many of the different promotional goofy fucking jerseys you know the different things that they sell for charity or for whatever night the halloween christmas you know every excuse right but those jerseys were just such low quality and such shit like if you anybody grabbed a hold of them they just rip right off like they'd rip in half all the time and then fucking giddy up you're screwed i got you bud so (laughs) but even in that year and i got out of my jersey all the time until you know, after after the lockout in 04 or whatever, that that was one of the other rules they put in where, you know, your jersey comes off, it's it's ten in a game, right? Like you're out. So, but but a lot of times too, once that was in there, then we just cut our tie down, like cut your tie down three quarters of the way through. If you had big trouble, just reef backwards on it, it'll come off. And then you wouldn't get the boot because your tie down was still done up to your pants. And the refs were like, like, look, I didn't. Everything happened. Shit happens, and they couldn't boot you out for that. But if you didn't have it done up. They could. So you just cut it most of the way off. So if you got in big trouble, you could just shimmy the fuck out of it. <laughs> a little trip, trick to the trade. I've actually never heard of that one. That one's pretty good. I like that. Uh, <laughs> well, you yeah, s- but if guys started, you know, doing the front jersey and little things like that, I just get the fuck out of it. And I'd always peel my helmet off, too. If my helmet got in the way, i just flick it off, get it out of the way so I could see what was going on so I wouldn't get hit. Like, I hated not being able to see what was going on. So if they're tugging on your jersey or they're mucking, once we had to start wearing the stupid visors, the guys would stick their hands in the visor, just shrug that shit off and get naked. 
All the cool shit happens when you're naked. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, the front tie down. That's a big one too. This the Sigroy one's got a front tie down on it. Um, well, you spoke about the lockout year, and I mean, f- as far as toughness goes, what was it like playing that year? Because the AHL was just a fucking jungle that year. Well, not not only toughness wise, but skill wise. Like that's the yeah. best the American League will ever be, ever was. You know, we had all the guys that were NHL ready that, you know, should have been in the NHL and were too way too good to be going back to junior. Like every team was, you know, was very very good and very very tough because all your tough guys in the NHL they're on fucking two way contracts or they're on league minimums and and teams weren't afraid to put those guys in the minors. So it was fuck if you got through that year and you did all right without getting killed, well, you could survive pretty much anywhere. You could survive in the NHL if you could survive that year for sure. And everybody was eager and willing. It wasn't like a bunch of sleeping bears there that didn't want to get bugged. Like, fuck, I got to show the team that I'm ready to go once they turn this thing back on. And everybody was fighting everybody. It was, <laughs> and I think, honestly, for me, that was the, my my peak for fighting. Uh, I was so dialed in and, and so that probably the strongest and injury-free and all that. And, fuck, I loved it. I did very well that year and had, had a lot of fun doing it. We had a fucking great team in a great town, fucking Grand Rapids. Shit, what a great place to play hockey. It was fun. Right on, man. Yeah, and uh, it was funny looking at your fight card. The very first guy you have on there is fucking Derek Bugard. So uh, <laughs> what was it like fighting Boogie? Well, like I was saying before, like Boogie really didn't know what he was doing quite right. yet, which thank fucking God, because if I would have fought him four or five years later, he just would have fucking tore me in half. Like he was that big and that strong. And I, I could just get out of the way. The biggest thing, he didn't hit me with anything. If he did, he would have fucking killed me. But he didn't. I got out of the way and tagged him with a few. And then it looks like you're an absolute superhero because this guy that's supposed to be the second coming of Christ and is six foot eight didn't kill you. Even though my he probably didn't even feel me hitting him, he didn't kill me. So it looked fucking amazing, right? So I was very glad I got him then. And I'm very glad I didn't have to fight him anymore after that. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding, man. Uh, yeah, every time you talk about Derek Bugard, kind of like AHL-ish, it's like, you know, you can see it almost, guys could almost see it coming together, but he didn't quite have it then. And then what, cause it was, a switch went off or something with Bugard, and he figured everything out, and he just became a fucking killer. And like you said, just could just punch through guys. Yeah, all that shit's confidence, right? Like, if you're a young kid, and, and that year, right, coming into that year, like you talked about, like all the killers were there. All the players were there. All the brass was at every fucking game. So every mistake you made was like, fuck, I'm, I'm getting sent to the coast or I'm getting my contract tore up or I'm never going to get a chance to go up to the big club. Like it, well, there was pressure on guys like, like never has been before and probably never will be, whether you're a 50-goal man or you're a goalie or fucking tough guy, right? Like it was very mentally challenging for everybody and some guys could handle that and some guys can't handle that. And I couldn't imagine being a kid like Boogie brought in there to be fucking tough as shit and you got to fight all these fucking guys and you got all those eyes on you all the time. And it takes a fucking different, not special in a good way, but a different mind to be able to handle that, that role in the first place. But if you're young and don't know what the fuck you're doing, you got that much pressure on you and, and you don't have the right support around you, it'd fuck you right up. It'd fuck you up and get you into all kinds of bad shit, which I think is part of, part of the reason you know bad things happen to guys like that and it really it really sucks yeah it does um 
and yeah, like just, it was just crazy that year. And uh, with Bugard, I think uh, I think I was reading his book. Uh, it's called Boy on Ice. For anybody who's uh, if they've ever read it or looking to read it, um, and he kind of talks about it, like I believe in some excerpts or whatever from interviews with him. And yeah, it was just kind of like it's just something clicked. And he was wasn't doing too well fighting, and even in the dub because he would just be a big big dude, and he just people just he wasn't there to fight until a couple years after, like a year or two into the dub, because people just look at him, oh, biggest guy on the team, or fuck, one of the biggest guys in the league, going to go fight him. So it just kind of got pigeonholed into that role, but like it clicked for him, and he, he did well. So um, that's you know good that he it went well for him, but uh, you know it's, it sucks in the end what happened. So uh, it's forever grateful we got to see at least Derek Bugard play and uh, see what he brought to the table, because it was awesome. And... Um, you know, another guy you fought that year, and we mentioned him before, is uh, his coaching career. But a uh, guy I love seeing, just absolute gamer, uh, was Rocky Thompson. Well, Rocky used to beat the shit out of me in junior all the time. <laughs> like, Rocky and his brother, older brother Jeremy played Medicine Hat when I was in Red Deer. And me and Jeremy matched up pretty good all the time and usually do okay. Or me and Jeremy would have really good fights, eh? But if I ever got the better Jeremy, then Rocky would just beat the absolute fucking shit out of me. And there's nothing I could do about it. Like, it really, really sucked. So anyways, we, <laughs> we played pro. And, like, not like he, like, knocked me out, but he, he fucking manhandled me. But we, uh, that year, we, um, Edmonton moved their farm team from Toronto. They had roadrunners in Edmonton, actually, for the lockout, which a lot of, um, NHL teams played at least some games. Had brought their American League team in to play in the in the big big clubs barns that year, and and that was one of them. And so I'd never played in pro anywhere close to home, right? So Edmonton's an hour and a half up the road from from here, and so like I got my my folks, my you know, all my brothers are playing all over the place, but all my buddies they brought buses from Sylvan Lake and Red Deer up there to watch us play, right? And Detroit's big farm team against against Edmonton, right? And, of course, fucking Rocky's there, so everybody, like, fuck, Pete, when are you and Rocky going to fight? You guys fought all the time in junior. You guys got to fight here. And I'm trying to play and put up some decent numbers there, too, with you know, so I can get the big call to Detroit, right, for when everything opens. But, and I, yeah, I know I got to fight Rocky. I'm going to be talking warm up like we're fucking going, right? Yeah, fucking right, we're going. <laughs> but he's playing all the time, too. Eh? He's a pretty steady defense, you know, decent defenseman in the American League as well, too. It wasn't just all meat there was some potatoes there too but he fuck we're getting near the we didn't fight the first game just a tight game just didn't work out second game it's coming near the end of the game it's getting close fuck i gotta fight i got all these fucking people in here that are here to watch this and see this and i'm gonna go okay i'll go on next shift for sure it gives me a tap on my way off the ice at the end of a shift i'm like fuck i'm probably not gonna get out i better do this now shift and we had a good tilt, but he definitely got the better of me by the, at the end of it. Like, it was a good, big, long one. I just ran out of juice, right? So, like, yeah, I fucking heard about that for years and years and years about how fucking Rocky still beat the shit out of me. But we played them back home in Grand Rapids, like, two weeks later, and I fucking got the best of them. Finally, finally, got give them, bloodied them up and fucking worked out really, really good. Nobody fucking there. That video got burnt. I think Rocky fucking broke in and stole it because the only time I actually gave it to him, at least a little bit, but it wasn't in front of my friends and family back home, that's for sure. But, but Rocky is tough and it's fucking, it's awesome to see, you know, what he's done with uh, with life after after playing and just turned into a hell of a prospect coach. And again, another guy, we talk about Chief, like, you know, how can these tough guys be coaching? Well, 
they're meticulous and they fucking understand the game top to bottom. And for the most part, most guys that are, you know, dumb dumbs, you know, on the ice are very articulate and a lot of them are very well educated too and, and aren't bad about getting their point across. And when they're coaching, whether it's junior kids or whether it's in the minors and it works in, in the NHL as well, like people have automatic respect for guys that are willing to go out there and put their, you know, put their physical safety on the line for guys every day. Like it's automatic. If you don't respect guys that do that, then you don't respect firefighters. You don't respect police officers. You don't respect the military. Like if you respect any ones of those groups of people, they're going to be able to get their point across when it's time. And, and it's, and it shows and Rocky's done a great job in junior. And now he's been doing a great job in the American league. And he's all the talk about one of the guys that's going to get the next job in the show. So fuck it. All good on him. Cause, cause he deserves it. Yeah, I really hope we see Rocky go uh, go up and make it to the show. Hopefully, as a coach, that'd be awesome. Uh, and hopefully, he proves everybody wrong, kind of like Ruby did. Um, and the last guy I'll ask you about from that year, because um, I don't want to keep you too too much longer, uh, so we'll skip ahead after this year. What's I'm that? all good. Oh, I got all. All right, all right then. That's fine. Fine by me. Um, <laughs> so you know, a guy you fought that year was John Erskine. He's, John Erskine to me is one of the most underrated heavyweights because he he didn't fight all the time. He wasn't. He wasn't a guy that would fight every single game, but when he did fight, you'd fucking know it. Scary, tough fucking lefty. Actually, when we're talking about, you know, the NHL teams playing games and having the American League teams play in there, we played, he was in Houston, him and I think Boogie and fucking John Scott were all in Houston at the same time, and we played them in Minnesota. And I fought back-to-back, I fought fucking... Scott, big John Scott, sat in the box, and I kind of got the better of him. Well, not I didn't fucking hurt him. He didn't even touch me, I don't think, but I hit him a bunch of times and probably didn't even feel it. But anyways, I in the box, tired of shit because I went on a long time. Step out and fucking, because I ran somebody, and that's why fucking Scotty grabbed me, and then I fucking get out of the box, and big John's like, we're fucking going, like fucking rights we're going. <laughs> That, and I fought them back to back and I thought again I was going to have a stroke walking down the hallway after that I fell down and collapsed I was so fucking tired but John was so strong lefty and yeah just quiet you could hit him over the head with a fucking log and he, he wouldn't let it show that it hurt him anyways Abe. but but he was a player too like he was a solid steady defenseman in the American League like he was good but he was fucking tough I got to play with him in Hershey years later and fuck it was nice having that guy on your team like just quiet scary like didn't say shit but when he did look out absolutely yeah john erskine like i said is probably if if anybody out there is kind of wondering who john erskine is or if you haven't heard of him, fuck do yourself a favor go look up his fights because you'll be entertained for a while and he uh he has a really good one with colton or i think he even gets the better of or at the end of it too um so that just shows you how fucking tough he is um, so no, it's cool that you got to uh, got to at least fight him, and <laughs> well, you survived it, I guess. So it's probably even the the better part. Um, so well, you mentioned you you went with John Scott too. What was it like fighting John Scott? I had him down here later, but we'll fuck it. We'll talk about it now. I love fighting that big prick. It was great because I could. I was always good about getting out of the way. And maybe I I didn't have the fucking power or leverage to hurt a guy that's that freaking tall, but I could beasting him down slowly, little by little, chop him down a little bit. But he could he couldn't really ever get a good swat on me. And and same thing I think too with him. He kinda it took some time for him to really figure out what what he could do with his body and whatnot too. Because when he got to the show, then he was a fucking killer there. He was knocking everybody the fuck out. Where I was never worried about him at, at all. Like I shouldn't say at all like I'm fucking some 
he was fucking big, scary, intimidating man, but I wasn't worried about getting hurt by him. It was just, and it was in that time where, again, I think I was kind of in my peak and my prime of uh, being able to handle that sort of stuff. And I love fighting because I look great. Even if he knocks me the fuck out, I look amazing. That guy's 6'8". I'm 6'1", maybe, on a good day when I had a lot of sandwiches, right? right. Like so, so it's doing nothing but pumping the boys up and demoralizing their team. If he doesn't beat the shit out of me, well, fuck fuck good are you but fuck good for him i love to see his how his story panned out and turned out it's absolutely amazing like i you know i don't really know him very well at all but i am again i'm fucking proud of what he's done it's so amazing how everything turned at the end of for everything for him and and fuck it's awesome he he made the rest of us you know tough guys or whatever look pretty fucking good that we can do stuff like that because a lot of people and I know you've mentioned it and the other guys on their podcast too, you know, I mention it all the time. Like you, even if you're, you, you're fighting all the time or fighting most of the time for a living, guys got to be pretty fucking good players. By the time you get to major junior and, and playing any level of professional hockey, you, you have skills you usually have a lot more than people think. And a lot of guys don't get a chance or get a, get a coach to give them a chance to play a little bit more than just their, you know, their few minutes you know each night but when they do and they get a chance most guys usually thrive pretty good and, and big john fucking he did that he showed the fucking all-star game that he can play with the big boys like isn't that amazing like i think it's fucking great a great way to to close things out for him for sure like fucking happy as shit for him yeah it is a good story and that's what people don't realize i always love when uh joe schmo on the couch is commenting oh fucking he only played in the ahl or he only played four games in the nhl well fuck that's still top tier professional athletes like just the coast alone like even if it's you know, quote unquote just the echl um you got to be pretty fucking good to play in the echl and if you're getting paid to play hockey somewhere you're good you're the top percentage of players whether you're a tough guy fighting because you can't be out there and you can't be a liability. So if you're there and you're you're sticking around in the league, you're there for a reason. And even if fighting may be your best attribute that you bring to the table, you can still play the damn game regardless of what you know Joe Schmo on the couch says. Oh, absolutely. And like honestly, and I you know have debates with guys up here. Like you know this is where I live, Central Alberta and Canada. And I think people are very you know hockey smart, but they think they are. Most people don't have a fucking clue that a lot of people play minor hockey, you know, when they're kids and stuff like that. But once that's done, like just like everybody plays little league ball down the States or plays peewee football or whatever. Right. Yep. And they think that they're, uh, you know, they're experts on the game because they have NHL teams close at hand and junior teams all over the place. But I know for a fact, if anybody that's 35, 40, 55 years old, come, I'll suit them up, bring them out to a practice and just try to keep up for one practice of, tier two junior or the western league they would have heart attacks and die and they wouldn't be able to fucking do it and wouldn't be able to do it for five minutes or one shift of a pro game and just trying to keep up would fucking damn near kill the average person and i'm not kidding at all so you take then stretch that out to like playing a season or you know trying to fucking fight while you're doing that too and trying to just keep up and play and be part of it all these guys are pretty special athletes, and and not only physically but mentally, how strong they have to be to go through all the shit you got to go through in in minor hockey and politics and your parents and junior hockey and the fucking craziness that that goes on in that before you even think about getting to pro hockey at any level. You guys are all pretty special athletes. There's no doubt about it. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like, uh, you know, I didn't play my first beer league game until I was, ah, fuck, I had to have been twenty, twenty two or twenty three. And because, of course, growing up in Florida, it's, uh, you know, a little hard to find rinks. Uh, and I think I've mentioned that before on the podcast. And, of course, you know, me playing beer league isn't even close to being comparable to the NHL. But what it did when I, you know, stepped out on the ice, actually played in a game. You know, I've been a hockey fan my whole life. It gave me a whole new fucking appreciation because I'm like, you know, I'm doing it. And I'm, you know, coming down the ice. But I'm just fucking big fat guy on skates <laughs> going down the ice. And I'm just like, you know, how the fuck do these guys do it so fast? so fluently whether it's the coast or like the uhl i grew up watching or you know the nhl how they're able to do it so flawlessly and effortlessly and even the tough guys who do it because you know they're still they still got to like i said keep up with everything it gave me a whole new appreciation for it and you know made me love the game even more so um and like you said you know throw throw joe schmo on the couch you saying all that into a junior practice with even just even just like with nowadays probably like bantam you know, or, uh, like you said, Western Hockey League. Just throw them out there and see what happens. And I mean, I know myself, I'd pass out in probably 30 fucking seconds. They would die and let Ben don't even think about fucking getting hit. Throw, throw some body contact into that. To do all these things, all the different skills you have, have to, you know, if not master, be pretty fucking good at, you know, at high speed. And then, then have somebody else trying to fucking knock you on your ass while you're doing it. It's pretty easy game when you're stand when you're 50 feet above the ice surface. It looks pretty easy and slow, and simple. And why shouldn't that guy go there? And of course that guy went there. But it's a whole other animal when you're down at ice level and things are happening, you know, very very fast for sure. Exactly, and it's like the same thing with like Tom Wilson, who always gets brought into is oh Tom Wilson's an asshole or he's a dirty player. Well, the game is faster than it's ever been. So if you're laying an open ice hit, guys aren't looking; they're not expecting it because it's just the way the game has gone. It seems like guys don't expect to be open ice checked as much like they did back in the day. But uh, you know, oh, it's like you know Tom Wilson's a goon or he's dirty. Well, one, he's not a goon because he's playing in 20, 2020. There's no goons left in hockey, um, regardless. And I hate using that fucking word. But, you know, just how fast the game moves and when he's laying a body check, how fast somebody could turn their head in real time. And people always see the super slow-mo and, oh, and see, he's dirty, he's dirty. It's like, no, you fucking idiot. Just think about it. Like, it just just think about it logically for two fucking seconds. Like, it's not that hard. I'll take you back to about 90 fucking seven and watch fucking the American League. You want to see dirty? You guys will stick sticks right down each other's throats on fucking purpose. Run guys from behind on purpose. Tomahawk guys in the teeth on purpose. Not this shit where guys run into each other by accident because they're going so fucking fast. Whether there was malice, there was intent to fucking injure every fucking shift on the ice. And the more you did it, the more room you got, the better your team did and you got patted on the back for it you got paid more money for it you got advancement for it that's what you did everybody was fucking mean on purpose trying to hurt each other that's the way you got ahead or you didn't so you had to look after yourself you had to protect yourself you had to be aware of oh that crazy fucker's on the ice i am making sure i know where he's at all the time and that's not even anything to do with fighting that's just being aware of guys that were fucking extra dirty so this shit now it's you know, everybody loves to talk about how fast it is and how skilled it is, and absolutely it is. But yeah, it's uh, it's not mean, that's for sure. And no. if it was, there'd be dead people out there. So maybe it shouldn't be, but um, it's it's not mean. And if guys are chirping guys about being dirty, they're not fucking dirty. 
they're they're kittens. Guys chirping all the time, they're fucking kittens because they're not backing anything up. The guys that do will fucking good on them, but there's about four of them left, and the rest are, you know, they're they're playing shinny and fucking good for them. They're making ten million bucks a year playing a game, fucking rates. That's awesome, but it's different. And I know I know your point of view where it sucks and you don't even like watching it anymore. And and for the most part, I don't watch. I love watching playoff hockey because. Even back in the day, there wasn't tons of fights in playoff hockey either oh, yeah. because it was so tight, right? But the physicality and the competition was was at the apex, right? Now a regular season game, like I love watching the highlights. I love having one on in the background, but it doesn't give me a heart on, that's for sure. Playoff yeah. hockey still does when it comes down to it, but it's it's just different. And I, and I coach kids, and I'm around kids all the time trying to teach them about the game, and they, they'll pull up YouTube shit and like, is this you, Coach Pete? Like, Fucking right, yeah, fucking right, it is, bud. <laughs> Christ, like they they don't believe it, right? Like, what were you guys doing? Why would you do that? Well, why the fuck wouldn't you? That's how you got more room. That's how you score goals. Not like that, yeah, like that. And it's just it's different, right? And, and I love teaching the skills to the kids, but they they'll never understand how the game was when when I played. Like my kids, like they fucking they don't get it. And I'm, in some ways, I'm glad they don't get it. But it's it's just it's just different. It's not really better or worse. It's just really really different. Does that make any sense at all? Or it, that's it, where I'm coming. From. Oh yeah, it does. It definitely does. Like you said, it's different. So it's it's to me, it's like if you if you watched hockey, I don't know. Even even from when I started watching, I started. I, I've watched hockey for as long as I can remember. So from as long as I could remember, I'd say probably about ninety eight, ninety nine is when I could start kind of remember actually watching hockey, um, and. Yeah. So it's like the the fans who have watched it since then kind of know, and even even though it's not even like how it was in the 80s, you would go to fans in the 80s, and they kind of know how it was back then, and so they appreciate it more. And you get fans now who, and it's nothing against them, it's just their nature, but the new age fans, they just started watching hockey in the last five years, so this is what they know, and they see that side of the game that you know I myself grew up watching, or you you played, you played in it yourself, and they see that and they're like, "What the fuck? Like that's that's in- ridiculous. It's dirty and this and that." And you know, they they hear the word "goon" and they don't even know what the fuck "goon" means. They just you know heard it once from somewhere, and so they think Tom Wilson's a goon, and because it's what it's the only hockey they know. And in a sense, it's almost redundant to sit there and kind of argue because every once in a while, of course, you know, you get motherfucked on Twitter or whatever because you say the wrong thing to somebody or whatever. Um, that's that's my version of hockey fighting. I do, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just it's. Like that's the that's the hockey they know, so I I understand where they're coming from, but then when you 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 explain everything to them, they don't they don't understand where you know the longtime fans or the longtime players come from. Like somebody was just arguing with Chris Dingman on Twitter, like a two time Stanley Cup champion, or sitting there arguing with them about you know uh, analytics or you know a player or I think it was actually like Gretzky playing back in the day and how he wouldn't be a top ten player now. I'm like, well, you got to look at it from their perspective and shit like that. So. You see people argue with these old play, like older players, you know, like 2010 prior, and it's just because it's the game they know, and that's uh, that's what they, I guess, quote unquote, grew up watching or when they started watching. So it's just a different product, and so I get both ends of the spectrum. But for me, it's just frustrating because it's like hockey used to be about like getting in the trenches and fucking going hard in the corners. That's why the Lightning didn't win the cup. They didn't go. They didn't get dirty in the corners against Columbus, and so. Um, I don't know. It, it seemed like it meant something, and guys would play for the crest on the on the front as opposed to the name on the back. I guess as cliche as that sounds. 
Well, guys, guys were all ultra competitive, right? Like, I know these kids are all ultra competitive, but but they think being competitive is you know it's scoring more goals than the other you know your buddy on the other team, which you know at the end of the day, like that's the point of the game, score more goals than the other team. Just how you do it is a little bit different. Like the old snipe score celly fucking shit, guys would do that when I played and before. Guys are making too big of an ass of themselves, celebrating. They get cross checked right in the fucking face, take all their teeth out on purpose. And yeah. everybody would, guys on their own team, well, yeah, you kind of deserve that. You know what I mean? Where now it's like, oh, I can, I'm a shit player. Like I, like I coach all these kids, right? Like it'd be shitty players, but they have a big celly when they score one goal every five games and they think they're, that's cool. That's not fucking cool. You're an asshole. You need a fucking cross check in the mouth. Like, what do you mean? Don't you look my great celly? Like, no, that's gross. That's like the big it's thing now. It's all about looking cool. Score score 50 of them fucking right you can do whatever the hell you want because nobody does that but by the way who the fuck's arguing with chris dingman he's going to show up with a pair of his fucking stout gloves and beat the fucking wheels <laughs> exactly that yeah big man like i had to play junior against that monster four years against that guy fuck he is tough and big just and good fuck me that oh. team and fuck were they good yeah people God. people all the time on twitter man they'll come at anybody it's ridiculous you know it's chris, chris who's arguing with chris dingman about it and, you know, it was just it, like he wasn't being mean about it at all. Chris was just trying to explain it to him because the person was just saying, oh, fuck, what was it like? Oh, yeah, Gretzky wouldn't even be like top 10 now. And we're like, well, no, motherfucker. You know the shit that Gretzky had to go through just to score a goal. Yes, maybe the goalie techniques weren't as good back then. But at the same time, people don't think that they see the goalies now and they look at goalies. And they're like, oh, goalies were terrible. Well, when you're wearing leather pads and it's getting waterlogged down, tell me how fast you can move with, you know, fucking 20, 30 pounds on each fucking leg going back and forth. So, well, it used to be the goalies were the guys that couldn't skate. You jammed them in a net like as kids. Now, like, and for years and years, ever since, you know, Patty Waugh and guys like that started playing, showing like, hey, you can be the big kid. You can be the cool kid and be in net. Where it used to be, oh, you stick the knob in net. You put the dork in there that can't skate. Where now it's like, no, like the fucking good athletes are going in there and they've improved and excelled. The equipment is improved and they're just the whole theory and science behind goaltending is, you know, jumped a bit further ahead than anything else at all. But if Wayne's wheeling around with a fucking, with his Titan 50-30 nowadays, he'd be terrible. But if you give Wayne a fucking, you know, a $300 fucking one piece, he's going top titty all the time. He probably scores fucking 600 goals back then a year. Oh, like yeah. Wayne's Wayne was, and I played for Wayne in Phoenix and he, I grew up watching him, the shit he did. And now like for this whole COVID stuff, they've been replaying so many old games and the shit he did was, it was fucking amazing. You, you lose track of it. And I lived through that and didn't really remember how good he was and not just how good he was, but how good that whole team was and how well they worked together. It wasn't just Wayne getting 250 points by himself. Yeah, he was beyond special, but that whole group of players was very, very special at that time. Oh, absolutely, and that was another big thing. Chris was just like, you know, uh, it's, look at the fucking technology that they had. The goalie's equipment, how small it was. The players' sticks, how they were all wood. And the, the training back then, it wasn't nowhere near. So they said, you know, like, give Wayne Gretzky the training of today's players or take Crosby and give him a wooden Titan and throw him back and... Uh, the 80s with none of the training and shit. How many goals do you think Crosby's going to have? He'll still probably have a lot because he's, you know, a hell of a player. But it's not going to be the same Crosby. It's a completely different guy. So it's just, I would always find it funny to compare eras. And, I mean, you throw Wayne in the era now today where there's no clutching and grabbing either. Fuck, he, like yeah. you said, he'd be yeah. fucking wheeling it around. 
Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, you know, it's always these are debates when that come up because there's nothing on TV or people have run out of shit to talk about. Like, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, none of this shit's ever going to happen, so who gives a flying fuck? Like, it's stupid talk. It really is. And you, we should just learn to appreciate what it was then and oh, yeah. appreciate what we have now and fucking, you know, take look at the good stuff. But it's got it's everybody can do that on Twitter and Instagram and stuff now because they're they're hiding behind a fucking computer. You gonna tell Chris Dingman that he was a shitty fucking player and no good and his role gave no worth to him winning Stanley Cups or he shouldn't have played in the NHL to his face? Not a fucking chance in hell. Whether Chris does anything or not about it, nobody's gonna talk like that. But it's very easy to sit sit behind a screen or be thousands of miles away and and talk shit about people. Exactly. Just yep. <laughs> um, so you know, you know, we'll get back to your career here. Um, and so it's oh five oh six. You're in Hamilton, and this is a guy I got to ask you about. And there's there's pretty much like onesies and twosies at this point now because I kind of dwindled the list down. Uh, but I got to ask you about it because of course you know another guy. And from what Mike Segroy said, he was really one of the he was the champ in the AHL for maybe two years. But when he was, he was just rolling through the league. Uh, was Brandon Sugar Sugden? What was it like fighting Sugden? Suggy, same thing. I think I got Suggy before he was the super killer, or when we did fight. Like, I think he, he must have been in uh, in uh, shit, the Onondaga War Memorial, Syracuse. I think he was down there, right? Like, and I think when we did fight, maybe we did once or twice, but they were kind of wrestling, rolling around kind of things, not big, open toe to toe goes. Because I think it was is after I left. And went to the other conference when I got in the Western Conference for the kind of second part of my career. That that's when Sugden was just beating the fuck out of everybody. And I think I got him again before he was what he was before he was sugar. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I was really like I got I was just old enough to get a lot of these guys before they'd figured out their craft or putting up uh, you know effort or proper training into what they were deficient in and got really really good at it. I was still just old. You know, one of the last old school guys with, you know, playing when the American League only had like four or five rookies on each team instead of four or five vets. You know, how things switched, like after the lockout, things really changed and, and, the, and the game com- changed completely with, with the new rules and, and how with the salary cap and how even how they structured their teams in the American League and the NHL. Like things changed. It was two different, it was almost like two different sports after that lockout happened and and I was still thinking and breathing. I, I changed and adapted my game as much as I could, so I could still keep playing and did for a long time. But, but again, to get back to my point, I think I got Suggy before he was Sugar. Do you know what I mean? Right. So I, I got away from these guys before they were super killers. And, and, and some of them, I think, too, because I was around for quite a while before that, and I had, you know, zillions of penalty minutes I thought, oh fuck look out that fucking little western toothless bald bastard is going to fucking kill you so <laughs> I think a lot of guys when they were young fought me very tentatively because I was older and they probably could have just once they figured it out they could have beat the tar out of me but I got them once or twice before they figured it out and I'm glad I did <laughs> it came, came out on top that's always good um, well you mentioned it earlier and of course you know talking about Syracuse with Brandon Sugden um you know, you brought him up, and I got to ask you about him. If you, I don't think I saw him on your fight card at all, but do you ever have any run-ins with old John Morasty? 
No, we didn't. We never fought each other. Like, and I know there's times where I was in the lineup and he was out and vice versa. And it just, it, for whatever reason, never kind of materialized. And I think the, yeah, it just, it's funny how things just, you, we should have fought. We should have. We we're around the same time. We definitely would have if we were playing against each other. But I know, like, I probably couldn't have fucking hurt him with three of me, I don't think. Like, <laughs> fuck you. Just watching his his tapes and stuff, like, good God, that. And he's not he's not that big. Like, he's, you know, built like a fucking fire hydrant and tough as nails. But you can't hurt that son of a bitch. I'm glad I didn't have to fight him because I probably would have broke my hands and then he probably would have broke my face. But never got the chance to, never got the chance to do her. So that that's usually how things worked out you know, in my favor where I was fighting guys that were, you know, the difference between me and John, he did that with those big guys too, but I was always fighting the bigger guys and it always looked good, but I think he did a little bit more than making it look good. He was pretty fucking tough by everything that I've fucking seen and heard about him. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh well, I guess it's a blessing and a curse. Maybe you could have said he went with Morasti, but at the same time, you would have had to go with Morasti. <laughs> tough, yeah. tough little bastard. Well, I know you, you, you yourself wouldn't give it a fuck. I know that you just said fuck it anyways. Fuck, that's all good. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> um, well, so you know, at this point, you, you're kind of winding down your time in the AHL. Um, you know, you've played quite a few years there. And it's 0708, and you actually get a call up to the Phoenix Coyotes. What was that like for you, man? Uh, that's about as one of the best days that you can ever have, right? Like, I got to, uh, that summer I was talking both with um, with New Jersey, with uh, Lou Lamarillo, and talking with Don Maloney in Phoenix. And, and for years I've been chasing, you know, just one game, right? Like, whatever. I'd been on NHL contracts and. You know, two ways. I've been on. I was on a one way with Montreal. The year I spent in Hamilton, thought that might be when I I get a chance to play in the NHL. Had a guarantee in uh, in Detroit there um, uh, on my contract for extra money, so I would have been called up if the season would have went on there. The year I played in Grand Rapids, and you know, been so close and and played with so many good players, and and you know, it was always so close. But anyways, Don Maloney guaranteed me I'd, he'd get me in a game in Phoenix. And fucking right so i'm gonna go play get a get a real legit chance right and as of course the year went on we had too many veterans right guys that played over 250 games you'd only have five in your lineup and i think we're packing seven or eight in san antonio that year and i was getting kind of short end of the stick and sat out and i got uh, we were playing in hamilton on eastern road swing get called into the office after after morning skate and i was just fucking mad like are you shitting me you're pulling me out of the lineup i, I used to play here remember i used to play here and that's a big thing eh? when you go to a town you used to play in you know you put money up on the board like it's a big deal you want to you want to have a good game you want to beat the team one of the teams that let you go sort of deal and your coach here greg ireland's like no i got great news for you like you're going to phoenix like fuck off that's not even funny like that is not funny at all sit me out and you're gonna come with me to that bullshit like no seriously you're going we're proud of you like it's so awesome like show me the paperwork show it to me right fucking now and they pulled it out and yeah here's the fax and here's your going here's your plane ticket like oh fuck me i'm really going like it was just it blew my mind right so i gotta i gotta fly across country uh, i got a newborn baby at home in san antonio uh, my my ex-wife and her and her folks uh, they jumped in motorhome, drove to drove to Phoenix. Uh, my mom and dad flew down from home. Uh, a good buddy of mine from back 
back home here, Derek Morris, and playing in Phoenix for quite a while. His mom and dad and brother and his wife and all kinds of, you know, there's tons and tons of people there. And I had about four days to think about this shit and got practiced twice with the team, got all ready to go, and everybody welcomed me in. Wayne was coaching. Um, just an amazing, amazing experience. And I actually got, uh, got to play my first game against Nashville Predators. And I thought I was going to have a fucking meltdown before it actually happened but when it did going out for warm-up whipping around trying to act cool stretching at center ice trying to intimidate everybody not intimidating anyone uh a good buddy of mine chris mason from red deer he's goalie for for nashville at the time their backup he comes over and like pistol we're so happy for you we're just everybody in the room's talking about it like whatever you need us to do like help you out I'm like fuck you're on their team chris fuck off like darcy hordichuk comes whipping around blows snow and stops his pistol if you need to fight, I'm here. If you don't want to fight, totally fine too. Just so you know, I'm here for you. And then he fucks off. And Shea Weber comes over and gives me a tap. Pistol, great to hear. Great to see. This is awesome. We're so happy for you. I'm like, fuck, you guys are going to make me cry. Fuck off. I got to get <laughs> But it was just a, it was an unbelievable experience. And, and the guys in, in Phoenix made it special. The guys in Nashville made it special. Um, I was 32 fucking years old. So I was old as dirt. And it was, uh, it was beyond special. My my daughter Danica watched it like she was fucking three months old. There's no clue, but she was there. That made it really special. And and my old man was there, right? My mom and dad were there. My old man said, "Yeah, play your first NHL game. I'm gonna come and visit." Little did he know it was fucking twelve, thirteen years later. But it was, uh, yeah, just one of those things that once you uh, once you're on the lineup there and played the first shift, is like, oh fuck, this is easy. And it was. It was so easy to play. I could throw grenade passes. Guys would knock them down perfect. Every pass I got was perfect. It was just, it was easy to play. It was fun. It was smooth. And then we lost anyway. We lost. I drew two penalties. Like, played good. Didn't know, finished my checks, played smart, played physical, did all what I was supposed to do. End of the game, the refs come over. There guys that I had in the Western League and the American League came over and gave me a fucking puck and patted me on the back and told me they were proud of me and, Wanted me to have at least a little souvenir just in case nobody else got me one. Fucking, they just about made me fucking cry. It was unbelievable. It was just an unbelievable experience. And, you know, who cares? You played one or two or three games in the NHL. Well, yeah, I did. And not very many people can say that. Right. How many, so, how many games did you play in the NHL, bud? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like you... I, played, I played fucking, uh, fuck, damn near 900 games pro, 800 and some or whatever. But, you know, always wanted to get to a thousand, but never did. But, but uh, yeah, I'm a fucking NHL alumni, and I get to go skate with the fucking Phoenix Coyote alumni and the and the Calgary Flames alumni because I got one game in. So, fuck, I'm pretty happy with that. And that's something that lots of folks can't say. You're goddamn right, and you played all those. It's, it's cool to see you play all those years and grinding it out in the minors, and you finally get your shot. Like you said, whether it's one game or a hundred games or whatever, you still got to play in the greatest fucking hockey league in the world. And at the end of the day, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, and and I once I got there, I knew I knew I could have done that if I had been getting I don't know better different opportunities or I would have done things differently and I would have got there sooner. I knew, like I always thought, I was pretty damn sure I could play there because of all the guys that I'd played with that ha- that had done that, and I figured I could. I was pretty damn sure, but then once you do it, like yeah. I was fucking right. I, I could do that. And lots of guys in the American League. Tons and tons and tons of guys. It's just a matter of 
circumstance or situation or contract or you know timing it's all that shit right and there's so many guys that you know on the east coast league exactly the same thing there's so many guys that could could do it even for for a snip or for a long time and and i was just lucky enough to fall in the right situation to do it just just for a little bit just a cup of coffee like they say but but i fucking did it so yeah it's probably the best, best cup of coffee you'll ever have then eh <laughs> yeah, yeah. um yeah, it's cool. You even got the sweater back there behind you and uh, hanging up still. So it's cool that they gave you the sweater. That'd be that'd probably be my one request if I ever played like a pro game. Where I'd be like, just give me my fucking jersey. You don't even know got to pay me. <laughs> like, just let me keep it. <laughs> I got I got three of them actually. Yeah, because that was my first game when I was uh, number fourteen. But I was I was seventy five for years and years. Like I was born in nineteen seventy five, and like I don't know, like three or four years in, I just like just put seventy five in. Cause going to a different team all the time. Just I got that. I don't have to worry about taking anybody else's number or, or somebody else that used to play in whatever town and either making that my number or fucking up their memory of that fans memory of that just give me 75 and i'm good and i always got to be good buddies with the with the trainers and, and with the equipment guys like you look after those guys they'll look after you so i made sure i did that in phoenix and camp and then throughout and still in contact with lots of the guys that i had you know working because you know the medical guys always patched me up helped me keep playing all the equipment guys always got what i needed but i made sure i tipped the shit out of them and took them out for suppers and bought them beers and and not just to get shit from them but to show them that i appreciated shit and then stuff like that comes back pretty nice as stan wilson there in phoenix he got he got me that right away and my other ones too and i'm very very happy to have that in my collection like actually that went got used during a game in the nhl and the kids think it's cool and yeah i think it's cool so fuck that's why it's on my wall <laughs> you're damn right um well man fucking over five thousand penalty minutes third all time on the ahl penalty minute list and a couple games in the nhl what more could you ask for not too much i did a nice little upgrade got a nice nice young wife that looks after me and takes care of all my stupidity and have a great great business going together and we got all our kids that keep us on the run all the time and loving life. It's absolute life is fucking great and enjoying it. Don't have too many things wrong with the old body. I got a bunch of titanium in me all over the place, but it just keeps me going longer, better sort of deal. And the old coconut's pretty much intact most of the time. So with all the different times it had has had wraps on it and whatnot, still works pretty good most of the time and not too super forgetful. But uh, yeah, life's fucking good, man. Love it. Well, that's good to hear, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come onto the podcast, told some absolutely fucking incredible stories, uh, just absolute killers that you fought over the years. I know people are going to love this. Well, that's great. I only got halfway through the fucking deal, too, so might have to come back on and spend some more bullshit for you. Have a couple beers so I can jog my my real story memories and get things rolling. But thank you very much for, for having me on here. It's an absolute pleasure, and it, it's a lot of fun for me and i know the other guys that you had on there too like it's really neat to talk about this sort of stuff because you don't really talk about it very much in your ordinary life you know like whatever job guys have or wherever they're around even even if it's still involved in the game it's it's different talking about you know the good old days or the where however you remember them i'm pretty lucky because all my brothers like all six of us played pro hockey so we all have lots of good stories and you know when we all get together there's a lot of good ones that come out but 
Uh, it's just nice to chat about some of this stuff with somebody that's willing to listen anyways and not just say, oh, shut up, fuck, whatever. It's, it's really nice. So thank you very much for having me on. And again, thank you very much for your service to your country and to end of the world. And, and happy Memorial Day weekend to everybody down there in the States. I appreciate that, man. Well, you have yourself a good night, all right? Thanks, buddy. Fight!